And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. edition of the Hagman Report. It is Monday, December 4th, 2017. A lot of news to get into. I want to thank everyone for joining us. Thank you so much for your belief and trust in us. We had, a, By the way, we had a great Patreon um, meeting meeting with patrons last evening. I want to thank everyone who joined, who uh, spent some time with us. We were talking about a number of different issues. And, th- and thank you for your support and thanks for joining uh, joining us last night. It was a, it was a great, uh, it was great to meet and, and talk with people. Uh, face-to-face, um, so to speak, virtually face-to-face anyway. Um, I, I felt, uh, I, I remarked to my wife afterwards how, how just how lucky we are to just to have uh, so many people that are uh, just supportive uh, of what we do. You know, it's just it's a great thing. By the way, Portions Life Program brought to you by ProFlowers.com. Hey, 20% off. All bouquets, twenty nine dollars or more. Just go to proflowers dot com. Use our coupon code Hagman at checkout. That's twenty percent off of all bouquets of twenty nine dollars or more. Proflowers dot com for this holiday season. Go to proflowers dot com. Use our code Hagman at checkout. Great company. By the way, they're uh, candy cane roses. Oh, um, it's just uh. They're great. In fact, I got them for my wife, and she loves them. It's just uh, one of the best. Proflowers.com. But, okay, so we've got all sorts of news breaking out everywhere. And we can kind of tell you what the headlines are going to be. I spent my morning show talking about Michael Flynn, the Flynn, what happened last week. But there's more to this because it would just recently... And I mean, within the last couple of hours, I, I saw something, and I've got a question. Uh, Sturzok, the FBI agent that was in charge, or that that number two guy, well, the FBI agent that was in that extramarital tryst, and also involved in the Hillary. Yeah, Clinton he, stuff. He sat in in the with in the meetings and interview with Hillary Clinton, and he is in some hot water now. As um, yesterday, two just Justice Department officials have confirmed that the department department's Office of Inspector General is reviewing the role played in the Hillary Clinton email investigation it, by Peter. And I mentioned this last Trump. night. Uh, I mentioned this on, on my Daily Show. Last week, and I mentioned this last night during during the patron conference. But but here's something I did not notice, and and I think this bears attention. When was when was he reassigned, Sturzok? Reassigned from for, from back. from the field to um uh, to human resources, which by the way, personnel, which by the way is a humiliating reassignment. But when? But when? I just noticed this. Uh, I, I don't know. But I'll, guess, I'll guess right before the uh, Clinton probe. 
He's reassigned this summer. Oh, okay. So okay. after now, wait, the, now, wait a second. Okay. When did the news break? Don't know. Friday? Saturday? Sunday, I think. All right. Saturday within within the last 72 hours, right? Why the delay? Think about this. That news did not break until after Flynn pled guilty to lying to the FBI. There's something really strange here. And, and strange, encouraging strange. It almost appears as if there's this, um, blowback taking place. There's a, um, how can I put this? Uh, in this case, a 3D chess game taking place, a chess game, uh, with respect to Donald Trump. Now, think back. When did Donald Trump go to the CIA, stand in front of the wall of stars, the fallen CIA agents? What did he say during that, during that conversation or during that speech? What, did, there was one thing he said, and in fact, uh, Michael Flynn, I believe, was there. He would, what did he speak about? There was one word he used that I want everyone to pay attention to. He would use the word column. Columns. Build this without columns. Okay. Okay. What's that in reference to? In parlance, in, in intelligence parlance. Columns. Fifth column. Build with, build this without columns. A fifth column. I, I, I think if I'm reading this right, I'm starting to say, hey, I've been on this so long, man, my eyes are bleeding, but i got to tell you, I, if I'm reading this right, all of this has to do, I believe, Donald Trump, Michael Flynn, uh, Donald Trump, per- perhaps, this is my belief, I'm, I'm working on this, this is kind of, I'm inviting you into my, uh, my uh, conference table here, but I'm starting to think that Donald Trump made that, made that announcement made during a speech at the CIA headquarters that referenced the columns where Flynn was present. And, and, and so, so keep that in the back of your mind, referencing, of course, columns. And then now working backwards with the news, Sturzok being reassigned to human resources coming, that, that news coming after and only after Flynn uh, pled guilty. There's something here, I believe. There's something to, to, to hold our uh, attention or to, to direct our attention to what Donald Trump is doing or has done with respect to the Mueller investigation, kind of fighting back against this deep state attack against Donald Trump. He calling out the columns back in January, calling out, calling out the infiltrators in the CIA. And don't forget, why was, don't forget about Donald or about uh, Obama and Hillary. Well, hatred against uh, Michael Flynn. What? Why? Why was there a hatred against Flynn? You know the answer to that. the The hatred was due to Flynn's position on Islamic terrorism and the United States assisting ISIS over in the Middle East. Something Obama and Hillary had done. Bottom line: walking this back, looking at this with a bigger lens. I I believe that we're witnessing, in this case, this chess game of maneuvers. Follow me on this. Donald Trump is fighting back, pushing back, 
he drew the line in the sand in his speech at the CIA headquarters. He said, we're going to build this without columns referencing the CIA and the intelligence industry. That's when everything, everybody was kind of getting uh, moved around and pushed around and, and fired and reassigned. Then Donald or, uh, Michael Flynn was was sacrificed on the altar of political correctness. And Donald Trump fights back, but the news did not break until this past weekend about Sturzok. So I think, the reason I'm connecting all this together is I think that there is a a dose or a measure of deep state pushback by Donald Trump, and I think Donald Trump is holding uh, maybe a pocket ace here. And I think that there might be some um, serious blowback from the Trump administration against the CIA, against the weaponized intelligence apparatus, and against the media that's been reporting on this. That's just my, my, I, perhaps, um, perhaps it didn't make sense on that, but I, that's kind of what I'm, you have to look at the bigger picture, I guess, and follow the bouncing ball, uh, when the DOJ failed to interview, um, failed to do a number of interviews with respect to the Clinton, uh, or, or did interviews, but did them poorly with respect to the Clinton emails, and I think this is going to come into play as well. So anyway, I just wanted to lead off with that. If you're uncertain what I'm referring to, uh, go back and listen to, to today's show, my show. And then, Joe, you and John, what did you guys talk about today? Well, we talked about a number of things from uh, what was going on with Michael Flynn. And, folks, go to HagmanReport.com. That's our our home site. There you can get all the news and everything that's important that we put up there each and every day, as well as original content from other authors. Uh, we talked about a few things today, and some of them I'd like to get into in the first hour. Uh, we talked about the... I'll defer to you. Go ahead. We talked about the uh, the tweets, the anti... what was labeled anti-Muslim tweets that came from Donald Trump around the Thanksgiving holiday, where he tweeted three different Britain First videos that gained extreme backlash from not only media pundits here in America, but also politicians over in Europe from Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, to Theresa May. And uh, today there was an interesting article in on Drudge Report from Yahoo News. Fear in London as acid attacks soar. Now there's a interesting in this article it details these uh, huge increases of acid attacks that last year the British capital saw 454 acid attacks. That was up 261 from the year before, and it's even higher this year. But in this article, what they don't tell you is who is behind these acid attacks. Uh, just about every single one, except one that I have seen in the news, was done by a, uh, a Muslim or a Muslim refugee. There was one example where this happened where it was a mentally unstable woman threw acid in another woman's face. But anyway... Uh, we talked about this a little bit because the blowback that Trump got from pointing out the uh, behavior of Muslim refugees in, in Europe and in the West and how they are trying to, you know, implement Sharia law, Muslim patrol zones, how they, um, you know, treat their women, how they treat non-believers. And he was taken to task being called hateful, uh, even said that his tweets, his retweets of the Britain First videos were going to bring more violence uh, because of, in, in response to his tweets. But anyway, this doc, this article documents the 
huge increase in acid attacks. This just only in London. But again, they do not talk about who is perpetrating these attacks. And that's very frustrating. And then I want to go back to some things on, on Michael Flynn and Trump's response to, uh, Trump's latest response as to what happened. But first I just want to make a quick announcement pertaining to the Hagman Daily Show. Starting tomorrow, we're going to be doing something different and we're going to continue to do this, uh, from, uh, now until the, the foreseeable future. We are going to be live from 12 to 1 on the Hagman Daily Show on Blog Talk Radio and we, we are going to be taking calls. Then we're going to put that broadcast up on Global Star where it airs from 2 to 3. So I will put announcements out on Hagman Report and social media tomorrow. And again, the broadcast will be live at 12 o'clock and we're going to start integrating uh, listener participation and calls into those shows. Just want to make sure we got that out there. But first, okay. The whole Flynn thing has been in the news all weekend and I did, I made a point not to pay attention to any mainstream media news coverage over this weekend. And I figured that they would continue to uh, try to make the case that this Flynn lying to the FBI was equal to Trump-Russia collusion. And what's really interesting is, uh, you know, the media is continuing in its push to try to say that, you know, this is the smoking gun. Trump is going to be impeached. Uh, you know, this is, this is, uh, you know, this is it for Trump. Well, there was a response from Trump today, and he threw in Hillary Clinton, as he likes to do, in his response. At the White House on Monday, before boarding Marine One, President Donald Trump said he felt badly for his former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, who pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI last week and added that the 2016 Democratic presidential candidate, Hillary Clinton, lied many times to the FBI and nothing happened to her. Trump said, I feel badly for General Flynn. I feel very badly. He's led a very strong life, and I feel badly. I will say this. Hillary Clinton lied many times to the FBI, and nothing happened to her. Flynn lied, and they destroyed his life. I think it's a shame. And then he goes on from there, continuing to uh, show how much Hillary Clinton lied to the FBI and got away with it. Yet Flynn apparently lied about a meeting that had no... Of, that was of no consequence, yet he was fired. Now, one of the bigger talking points that is coming out of all of this Trump plea, the, the Flynn guilty plea, trying to drag Trump into it, is this, again, recall for the obstruction of justice calls. You have many people saying that they believe Mueller is going to uh, level an obstruction of justice charge against Donald Trump adding that some of his own tweets about the Flynn situation that. this time is the reason, is adding to that. Now, a prominent Democrat, Alan Dershowitz, is making news by saying this is uh, completely false. You could, there was no obstruction of justice, and you cannot charge a president with obstruction of justice for exercising his constitutional power. Harvard law professor Alan Dershowitz on Monday said President Trump was within his rights as commander-in-chief when he fired former FBI Director James Comey and warned Democrats trying to take him down on the obstruction of justice charges won't succeed. You cannot charge a president with obstruction of justice for exercising his constitutional power to fire Comey and his constitutional authority to tell the Justice Department who to investigate and who not to investigate. That's what Thomas Jefferson did, Abraham Lincoln, and 
Roosevelt all did. We have precedents that clearly establish that, Dershowitz told Fox and Friends Monday morning. Now, what's interesting to me is they're bringing back this obstruction of justice charge for Trump firing Comey. And when, when Trump did that, there was no Russia investigation. Comey even testified under oath that Trump was not under any, or was not the focus of any investigation. So when Trump fired Comey, there was no investigation into the Trump-Russia collusion. But let's say for the sake of argument that there was. Just because Comey was fired does not mean that the investigation would have ceased or went away. Uh, It would have just been picked up by the next person in line. But they're trying to make the case that, that Trump interfered with the Russia investigation by firing Comey. And not to mention, this after Comey reopened the Hillary Clinton email probe, for whatever reason, just weeks before the election. And if you remember, that parade of Democrats, from Maxine Waters to Pelosi, all these people came out and said how Comey was incompetent, he had no credibility, he needs to go. Well, you know, Trump uh, eventually took their advice and got rid of Comey. Now, Comey was a leaker to the FBI. I mean, he uh, he was wrong in so many ways, but he even admitted that he leaked some of the information in order to get a special prosecutor hired. Long story short, back to the Dershowitz, this is what he said. Uh, this is what this article closes out with. The issue came up Monday after Trump... Trump's lawyer, John Dowd, said the president cannot obstruct justice. One of Trump's tweets over the weekend suggested that some, uh, to some, that Trump knew his former national security advisor, Flynn, had lied to the FBI, which could imply obstruction of justice. On Sunday, Senate Judiciary Committee ranking Democrat Dianne Feinstein said she is part of a group creating a case for obstruction against Trump. Dershowitz warned that in order to go after the president for obstruction, Clearly, illegal acts would have then have to have been committed. They say that it would have to be uh, violence, threats of violence, bribery, uh, intimidation. He went over a list. I heard it on Hannity today. Okay, but, so let me clarify something on, on your behalf, if if I may. Sure. Okay, obstruction, perjury, um, lying. I'm just trying to think of the different but obstruction of justice, for example, or perjury. That's a process crime. Just so everyone uh, understands this, let's we, we can get our kind of our language. A process, a crime. process crime. And what's a process crime? It's an offense charged by a prosecutor alleging a criminal or alleging criminal conduct related to the investigation of a crime, but not the crime itself. Okay. All right. So go ahead with your. With well, your, yeah, well as I said, there was you know Trump. It was clear, even from Comey's mouth, that one, Trump was not the focus of any investigation, and two, after Comey was fired, he even issued a statement, said that the president was well within his constitutional rights and authority to do what he did, and Comey did not have a problem with it. See, what's going on here now is that I think the left is a little disappointed that more didn't come out on Flynn, that even though the reports of Flynn cooperating were made, that it is not far enough the the smoking gun did not was not shown and Trump is really fleeing clear from these charges. Now there was an interesting story uh or well, part before, of the story before you line. move on. I'm not you, moving on okay, from the go ahead, continue okay. then because I I do have something to say about that. Go ahead. On Friday, it was reported when this news of Flynn first broke 
on ABC News with Brian Ross. This is what he reported. He said, Michael Flynn is prepared to testify that President Trump, as a candidate, Donald Trump ordered him, directed him to make contact with the Russians, which contradicts all that Donald Trump has said to this point. Now, if it was candidate Trump communicating with the Russians or directing people around him to communicate with the Russians, yes, that would be illegal. But one thing that this ABC report uh, stressing did, they, candidate they, Trump, they got candidate. right. Candidate Trump, not, they got not, it wrong. Now, if you remember right. the views, Joy Bayer, when she was handed this report by one of her producers while on air, she read it with glee. I played clapping. That. The audience was yep. clapping. Everybody was so happy. Well, what happened is that ABC had to issue a retraction and apology, and ABC News anchor Brian Ross, who was the report, the one reporting this, was suspended for four weeks because the report was completely wrong. It was not only it was not when Trump was a candidate; it was when he was president-elect. And not only is that not against the law, it is part of his duties as president-elect to talk to these people. He ta- he directed Flynn to talk to over the 35 different world leaders. There is no crime here, and they're trying to turn it into a crime. What Flynn is in trouble for, lying to the FBI, about a meeting that he was legally allowed to have that was part of his job. That's why none of this makes sense. And it's unfortunate that Flynn had to... Uh, for whatever reason, he lied to the FBI. It, it, it did not matter. Uh, he did not do anything wrong as it pertains to contacting these uh, foreign dignitaries on behalf of President-elect Trump. Now, why he lied to the FBI about it, I don't know, but that's what got him into well, trouble. Well, there are four separate alleged lies. What, what, what uh, Flynn, Lieutenant General Flynn uh, uh, copped out to, pled to, four. And they all... Stem, they'll fall under section 1001 of the uh, U.S. Code. Now, of the Federal Penal Code. Now, now here's where he, he, here's where it comes into play. This stems from uh, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn's conversation on December 29th with Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak, and there were four issues. Uh, was responding to the. Um, Expulsion of the 35 Russian diplomats and the, and the sanctions, Russian sanctions. And then the other two had, were related to the UN and Israel. But the big part here is about the Russian sanctions. But Joe, what I want to jump in earlier or want to press home, press forward is this. We all have seen, and I think that this is key. When you have a criminal suspect and you file charges or you indict a criminal suspect, what, what's the process? The normal process for a prosecutor to do if, um, uh, if they, if they want to get this suspect to talk or to cooperate. What's the MO? What's the usual process? I'll just answer the question. You hit them as hard as you can. Well, yeah, there's a lot of things you can do. Right. But I mean, you smack, I, you know what? You, for example, murder case. We're going to charge you with murder one. We're going to charge you, you know, and, and the, the list goes on and on and on, right? Yeah, your family will be a compromise right. if you don't talk, right. you know, whatever you can use as a leverage against a person. And, and then you hit them with everything you got. And then you say, okay, well, oh, wait, you want to talk? You want to, you want to negotiate a plea? All right. Well, maybe we can drop that from murder one to, you know, murder two or, uh, even involuntary manslaughter or voluntary manslaughter or whatever or work downward. But you dangle a carrot. You lead off with your strongest card initially as a prosecutor 
you don't lead off with some, uh, you know, inane process crime of lying to the FBI. So it makes me wonder if that's the best I got. Yeah. And, you know, interestingly enough, even USA Today has a headline, if Flynn, if Michael Flynn's crime is all Robert Mueller has, it's time to move on. This article goes on to detail that Flynn's pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI about a perfectly legal conversation he had during the presidential transition. Flynn should not have lied. Why he chose to remains a mystery, but the substance of one single count indictment against Flynn shows that special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation has strayed far from its original purpose. And just to say something on what you talked about on the, the, uh, uh, you know, in a criminal investigation, usually in a, in a criminal investigation, a prosecutor or detective will start with a crime and then work to see who committed it and why they committed it. Here, there was no crime. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And they're going after people and looking for crimes in those people's lives. That's very true. Which is, is, is completely, you know, upside down and, and it makes no sense unless it is being done for the purposes of a political witch hunt, which obviously this is. And anyway, this article from USA Today is making the case that we've come a long way from hyperventilating about Russia hacking the election a year ago, and a year later, there is nothing to find, there's nothing on Trump, and it is leaving whoever wrote this piece, uh, James Robbins, to say that since we have not seen anything so far, and nothing is forthcoming, Robert Mueller investigation should be shut down. Even Leon Panetta came out and said it's a stretch to say any contact broke the law. What Flynn was doing is was part of his job duties and job description um, on the transition team and that if and the Mueller's grasping at straws as this is all he's uh going after. And so and, and stay with us after the break. I've got a paper here that you're gonna wanna uh everyone's gonna wanna listen to and this is uh dated January of uh, January twelfth of seventeen that relates to exactly what you're talking about. Okay, and uh, since we are up against the break, want to bring you a quick word from Green Evative. We'll hit this on the other side, but uh, Green Evative still has their 30% discount uh, all the way until December 10th, 30% off um, the entire store. You can't beat it. So we're going to come back. When we come back, we're going to talk about that for just a, a few moments because they got some new items, some interesting things. And we got a great show. We got next half hour news. Then author Bill Federer will be joining us. And then the third hour, Steve Quayle and Bob Griswold from Ready Made Resources will be our guests. And we're going to be talking about prepping. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This Monday, December 4th edition of the Hagman Report. I almost said Hagman Daily Show again. Uh, we got a great show lined up for you today. Uh, we're going to bring you some quick words here and then get right back into it. want to talk to you about Greenovative as we are in this holiday shopping season. The Greenovative Power Cell is a portable power source that makes power anytime, anywhere, in any weather, day or night, by simply adding salt water to the unit. 
Green Innovative is continuing their huge 30% discount sale until the 10th of December. That's 30% off the entire store. You have to use the discount code HAGMAN in order to receive your discount. Just like last year, they're sending out all units ordered by December 10th to be delivered before Christmas, so make sure you take advantage of the 30% discount before September 10th to get what you order before Christmas. December 10th. <laughs> I don't know what I said, but December 10th before Christmas. The folks at Green Innovative want to thank the Hagman audience for their support and hope to keep providing useful Green Innovative products. Go to the website, greenovative.com, and get the 30% off store-wide with your discount code HAGMAN. Thank you, Alan Riggs, and thank you to greenovative.com. Very good. Now, right right before the break, I was talking about the uh, this one paper here. This flew under my radar, and perhaps maybe it did not fly under yours. This is dated January 12th of 2017, Office or Department of Justice, OIG, which is the Office of Inspector General, announces initiation of review. Um, again, this relates to what we're seeing happening today. Now, this is a year hence almost. Okay, now, now think about this. The uh, OIG, the Inspector General at the Department of Justice, General uh, Inspector General Michael E. Horowitz, announced back on January 12th, that in response to the request from numerous chairman and ranking members of Congress oversight committees, various organizations and members of the public, the OIG, will initiate a review of the allegations regarding certain actions by the Department of Justice in the FBI in advance of the 2016 election. This is referencing now the, Clinton, the handling of the Clinton email matter. Now, what did we see uh, this number two FBI or this uh, FBI agent, uh, Sturzok, get transferred for? Changing the wording uh, from the gross uh, gross negligence to uh, carelessness or whatever it was. This, if you go back and look at the at the timeline of this, this is extremely interesting because we're just getting word of this now. When he was bumped uh, to the personnel department back sometime during the summer. And and you go back to January, and you see that the OIG has been doing a review, allegations that the FBI uh, and uh, Department of FBI uh, policies were not followed in connection with or actions leading up to or related to the you know, Comey's announcement on Jan- uh, July 5th of 2016 and the director's letters to Congress on October 28th and November 6th. So there there is an investigation going on by the Office of the Inspector General. And it, it goes, let's see, there's one, two, three, four, five. There's five points it goes through, um, including but not limited to allegations that decisions regarding the timing of the FBI's release of certain Freedom of Information Act documents on October 30th and November 1st and the use of a Twitter account to publicize the same were influenced by improper considerations. This, to me, is a very important piece of paper. It's an important announcement because it provides the backdrop uh, that verifies that there there was um, improper activity taking place within the DOJ and FBI. So that's something that I want yeah. I'm going to be following up on, isn't that? That's really Is that, that's interesting. Okay, from today, from uh, DOJ and FBI threatened with contempt of Congress for hiding info on anti-Trump FBI investigator. Um, 
This has been this has been talking and and there's been a blackout, a media blackout on this. So if you and I I knew okay, I knew that there was an investigation, but I, I did not know that this notice of investigation existed. And, and I think that this is an important thing because it delineates exactly what Horowitz as the OIG or as the Inspector General for the uh, over the uh, Department of Justice is looking at from and again this is January 12th and now we see during the summer uh the, this FBI agent transferred to to personnel a demotion incredibly uh an incredible demotion and but but no again I go back to the timing this is after the Flynn uh pleading so there is a war taking place uh, within the the with within the government it's the the agents of the deep state the permanent state uh or the permanent government if you will the, the bureaucrats the obama holdovers and the loyalists to obama and clinton against those of us who are fighting for freedom now before i continue on i want to mention pro flowers you know my wife i i, I love her to death i sent her a, a, just a, a great uh bouquet of candy cane roses and and she loved them, and, and you know, there are people you won't get to see this holiday season. For example, my sister-in-law is not going to be coming to to stay with us this this holiday. So what we've done, don't tell her now, but we did. Uh, in fact, we selected a specific delivery date where she's going to get this beautiful bouquet of flowers from Pro Flowers. This is my go-to. This is my go-to company, or my go-to location for all things gift-related. Look, a bouquet of festive plants from Pro Flowers. It's the, it's, it's just perfect because it's not the same old traditional gift. It says so much more. It brings, it, it brings a, a message of love, of friendship, of, it's just beautiful. And by the way, they're best selling candy cane roses. They're a great option for a holiday gift. If you want to go with a holiday gift, you know, or even a December birthday or anniversary. Now you you can always go with their classic mini Christmas tree that comes with lights and ornaments. This is just absolutely great. Uh, I sent someone one of these trees as well this year, and, and in fact, for their office. I'll just leave it at that. Pro flowers, bouquets, and plants are guaranteed to stay fresh, and you control the delivery date. Like I was saying earlier, I selected the delivery date when I wanted them delivered. Pro Flowers gives you more bloom for your buck. Big, beautiful flowers. More stems for your freshness. I've never seen flowers last this long. And the beautiful aroma with all of the flowers, it's just great. In fact, in our family room, you can, that's all you can smell is this flower aroma. It's beautiful. And the impression that it made on my wife and, and uh, the people who come over and visit who see it, just amazing. You want to get 20% off of all bouquets of $29 or more? Let me tell you how to do this. Again, 20% off all bouquets of $29 or more this holiday season. All you have to do is go to proflowers.com and use our code HAGMAN at checkout. This is a fantastic offer. That's proflowers.com, code HAGMAN at checkout for 20, uh, 20%. If I said anything else, I'm sorry. 20% off of all bouquets of $29 or more this holiday season. Let me repeat that. 20% off of all bouquets of $29 or more this holiday season. Go to proflowers.com. Use our code work, Agman, at checkout. Back to uh, what we were talking about with ABC, Brian Ross. Some new information has come out that the 
ABC News president is furious over this mishap. James Goldston uh, excoriated his staff on Monday over Brian Rossis's major error on a report about the former NSA Michael Flynn. And he went on to say that Ross, the network's chief investigative reporter, will no longer cover stories related to President Trump. Also, uh, he went on to just <laughs> tear apart his staff, saying that uh, he spent the whole weekend getting just destroyed uh, by friends and, and uh, viewers of ABC. Over a quarter of a million tweets were negative about the ABC uh, news coverage of the Michael Flynn story. So, of course, uh, Goldston, the president over there, uh, took that out on his staff and pulled Brian Ross from ever covering the president again. And he went on to issue a statement saying that it was just plain wrong and uh, he made the decision to remove Brian so something like this will never happen on air. And he goes on to, to make calls to his staff to better vet the information so mistakes like this don't happen. And uh, it's, an, it's an interesting read. It's a very long one, but that's right up there on Drudge. And also, I don't know if you saw this, that Jim Acosta, um, he is in the news again calling for journalists to resist. Acosta, when journalists are attacked, journalists have to resist. I saw that. He's one of the ones who has been um, very unprofessional and loud in some of these White House press corps meetings. Excuse me. Uh, CNN senior White House correspondent Jim Acosta on Monday continued to vocally criticize the president and his attacks on the media. During the inaugural uh, Journalism Ethics Summit, which is intended to focus on something political reporting and increasing trust in the media, Acosta commented on his behavior while reporting behavior that has been criticized by some of his own colleagues. But what he Acosta is saying is that journalists need to become more vocal. They need to speak out against this president because the president is attacking journalists and journalism in general. Acosta says reporters who are not part of the resistance uh, but says that they all need to co- become part of the resistance. And it's really funny because if you haven't noticed, it seems like all mainstream media journalists are part of the resistance, Acosta being one of them. But they are seeming to continue to take issue with the label of fake news. And Yahoo has a, uh, uh is published a poll that says that the trust the Americans trust in media is growing since President Trump has become inaugurated which I find really hard to believe but I guess back to the main issue at hand Mueller the Russia collusion meddling investigation where does it go from here you have what Kushner is is one person left who might be uh, feeling the wrath of Mueller but beyond that uh, who who else is left what else is left to go after I have a feeling they're going to indict Roger Stone. For what? I just, I'm, that's just, I, I, I'm just going to stop it right there. So it's, it's somebody they want to indict, so yep. they're going to go find something. To I, I, and I believe that, that that would be a travesty of justice, obviously. Um, regardless of what you think of Roger Stone, I happen to like him. I happen to, to, uh, uh, I mean, he's, he's got inside information. I think he's incredibly intelligent and plugged in, in, in the political circle, circles. Again, whatever you think of his, 
uh, personal life or it, it, I, I don't care about that. I'm putting that aside for a moment and just looking at the, that, that relative to, at him relative to, to this issue. I think they, they, they want to, I think he's going to be collateral damage. I think they're going to go after Kushner. I think Donald Trump Jr. And ultimately the big prize, of course, is Donald Trump himself. Right. And, and the, uh, of course, the, the, the objective here is to take down the presidency and the president and reverse the election of 2016. That's what I think is happening. And with all the, uh, uh, insane news coverage about Flynn, some of the, the better news has gone underreported or unreported, like the tax plans, the tax reform tax bill that was pushed through, uh, narrowly in the Senate by a 51 to 49 majority. All's left is now is for President to sign the bill, and the headline here on Drudge is tax cut Christmas, stocks smash more records. Also, what the president did today uh, with public lands is very interesting. He reduced the amount of public lands held by the federal government, the most, the biggest reduction in United States history. Trump dramatically shrinks Bear Ears National Monument and slashes another by half in the name of states' rights. As he says, public land will once again be used for public use. President Trump's unveiling a plan Monday in Utah to dramatically scale back two national monuments, calling it an important move for states' rights. And I, I agree with him on this. We've seen, if you look at maps on the, especially of the uh, western half of the United States, I believe the federal government owns, what, 40-some percent? of a lot. 50% of all the lands, you know, west of the Mississippi. Well, this is something that Trump said he would do during his campaign, which was give back some of that land to the local states and communities. And, uh, he had done just that today. The families and communities of Utah love this land and they are very happy. They say they know how to protect it. They know how to conserve it. They have for generations and will for generations to come and don't need the federal government taking it over. Uh, for whatever use that they, they want to use it for. Yep. But this is, uh, one of 27 national monuments that Trump has ordered the Interior Secretary to review earlier this year. So this is just the beginning of, uh, public lands being restored again to the public, or federal lands being restored to the public for media backlash over this. But again, another Trump campaign promise we see him fulfilling. And I think that's driving the, the, uh, Progressive nuts. Uh, any, anytime you see something like this take place, and the um, Daniel Horowitz was on KFAQ Pat Campbell show today. But by the way, I'm just curious if anyone out there listening to this broadcast listens to Pat Campbell or heard me on Pat Campbell. Anyway, uh, Daniel Horowitz was on um, Pat Campbell after I appeared. Uh, it's a powerhouse station out of Tulsa KFAQ, and. Um, he was talking about uh, Donald Trump's tax plan, but 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 that's kind of uh, that's been very much misrepresented. Um, I, I think that's going to do a lot uh, with respect to job creation, job growth, the unburdening the businesses, and especially the smaller businesses, not major corporations necessarily, the smaller businesses. Uh, if you look at the tax tax plan, now I'm no accountant. Oh, I have a question on this. Did, did the this tax plan that's going through is that releasing or stopping the penalty from yes. Obamacare? Yes. All right. It's important to know. 
Oh. Yeah, and it reduces so the corporate tax from whatever it is, 35% down to 20%. Now, the one thing I'm not sure of that I believe that's through income, by the way. So just so people know that that's a direct in your pocket. Uh, for people, just so people understand that that's past. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm not an accountant, so I'm not going to discuss that, but it's good for business. Go ahead. Yeah, it is good for business. The only thing I wasn't sure about, I haven't read through the changes or the provisions, but when the, when the Senate kind of restructured the bill uh, to be able to get the votes, from what I understand, they added a provision that if the tax bill, when it passes, if it doesn't generate the economic advantages it says it will, a tax increase is going to kick in after six or seven years or something like that. So that's one thing I was a little uh, curious about that I, I did not have time yeah, to get we're into. Gonna, we're going to look at that. I think I think one of our meetings, uh, pre-show prep meetings, will include the tax uh, plan. I think we should really be able to. In fact, we might even bring Horowitz uh, back on to explain it. I think yeah. that'd be a good good idea. By the way, uh, anyone who does live in the Tulsa area, I just got to throw this in there because I like Pat Campbell a lot. Him and his wife, his, he's got a great family. He's got a, just a, a, send him an email or he's on Twitter. Just let him know that you like him and uh, if you listen to him or that you know thank him for having me on because I, I do that. But uh, uh, because he, he's, uh, I got to tell you, a conservative in. Uh, he's in the heartland, but nonetheless, conservatives are under attack in the in the syndicated media and the mainstream media, and he's certainly under attack. But I, I wanted to mention that because he's he's such a great guy. Okay, all right. So anyway, uh, switching gears here. Yeah, go ahead. This is uh, an interesting story that came out this morning. The United States and South Korea launched large large scale air drills uh, amid nuclear tension. Unprecedented joint air force drills between the U.S. and South Korea, featuring hundreds of warplanes, have kicked off. Despite dire warnings from Pyongyang and Moscow's calls to avoid the new provocations after the recent launch of North Korea's ICBM, it's called Vigilant Ace 18. The Vigilant Ace 18 drills, which Seoul claims are purely defensive in nature, will see hundreds of U.S. and South Korean aircraft honing their skills by attacking mock North Korean nuclear and missile objects in different wartime scenarios. Uh, reporting from South Korea, they say for the first time they will feature six F-22 Raptor stealth jets that arrived in South Korea specifically for the war games, along with six F-35A stealths, and I believe the F-35s are the newer ones. The large-scale maneuvers, reportedly the largest ever combined Air Force drill between the Allies, will also involve dozens of the fighter jets on both sides, as well as B-1 bombers, and carrier-based electronic warfare aircraft. 12,000 personnel and 230 military aircraft will be engaged in the drills that will run until December 8th. Now, this is sparking some backlash again from from uh, Putin in Russia, saying it's a provocation to North Korea and that it could escalate the nuclear tensions between the two nations. While the drills are continue, uh, scheduled to go forward, as South Korea said, they are defensive in nature. I don't see how these drills uh, are any more of a provocation than, uh, you know, North Korea launching missiles into the Sea of Japan um, and continuing to increase their nuclear capabilities in in the this time of tension between the U.S. and North Korea. So, will this turn into a hot war from these drills? I don't know. I think it'd but, be a short one. 
I don't see Relatively. I don't see the problem. I mean, if North Korea is going to continue to threaten the nations around it, threaten the United States, threaten to obliterate South Korea and or America or Guam or Hawaii, um, then yes, we should be conducting drills for that inevitability in case he does decide to launch missiles at a number of targets, including the U.S., for our responses to be ready. So I see no problem with these drills whatsoever, but some in the international community do. And where will this, uh, where will this lead? You know, will this, one, one thing that, um, James Perloff talks about, talked about when he came on our show is the ability of the United States in a conflict to provoke another, the other side into striking first. Is this that type of, uh, you know, provocation that would actually start a hot war? I don't know. We will, let's hope not, but it's very possible. That uh, Chia Pet over there's got to be quaking in his boots. I, I I don't I don't know. I think I, I he's don't. insane. I don't think he, he. Well, think about it. He was brought up. He's a third generation, uh, you know, king in North Korea. He, yeah. He's basically worshipped as a a religious god by his people. Uh, he's never is he really faced had, any that criticism. Had a basketball player come over and Yeah, Dennis Rodman. Okay. He's never you know really faced any real challenges. Nobody is is critical of him for fear of being executed. Uh, nobody will will go against anything he says. He's just basically a big unchecked baby who hasn't had a real reality check yet. And uh, that kind of mentality and psychosis can lead somebody to do some crazy things, thinking so that there bubble. are no consequences. Yeah, that's that's very true. Uh, another piece of news that I think everyone should really pay attention to. You know how we have infiltrators in our government, of course. You've got the communists and you've got the Muslims. Basically, uh, two branches of the, the same tree. Yeah, the, the Democrats or, or the progressives. Yeah, they consist of either the communists or, or the, or the, or the or Muslim, Muslim sympathizers. Keith Ellison saying, and I quote, uh, should Donald Trump, President Donald Trump's plan to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital would be a, quote, horrible tragedy. Now think about this. In what regards? And tragedy to who? Who, who's, who, who is this hurting? Well, it's, he said that it is Donald Trump stomping all over what we've been trying to do as a nation to foster a negotiated two-state solution for many, many years. Doing this would would, would jeopardize that two-state solution. And I think that the only two-state solution, this is my opinion now, is going to be only with a covenant that would be brokered via the, um, shall we say, the Antichrist kind of environment. I don't know. It, it, it would not be a good solution. In my view, I, there, the next Middle East peace is going to be one that would lead us directly into the biblical accounts, I believe, of, of the apocalyptic, of an apocalyptic future. But well, think about this, to have the, to reach the two-state peace deal, if it's the same deal that is talked about in scripture as the, in Daniel, that a peace treaty is offered, wouldn't there have to be a war first? Well, yeah, I, I, yeah uh, look, I'm, I'm not an expert on this. All no, I know I'm is, yeah, I, I guess, uh, I, I, Psalm 83 war, if, if, if you subscribe to that theory or that aspect, but whatever the scripture does say. But regardless, Keith Ellison, I, the, the point is this, in, in my, in my viewpoint, you've got, uh, we've got a problem. We've got an infestation of communists and Muslims in our government. And some have been elected, others appointed, and others 
have been hired. And even Mueller, think back to what Mueller had done as FBI director by expunging the phrase Islamic terrorism from the training manuals of the FBI. Think about what the eight years under Obama, just seven years after the, the mass terrorist attack by Muslim terrorists, if you, if you believe in the official narrative, uh, why are you having these operational assets such as Mueller and others expunging the Islamic terrorism phrase from the uh, manuals? You had Stephen Coughlin writing a 313-page manual that was just decimated by the military saying, well, uh, it's not true. And, uh, for example, the, the manual that he wrote talked about jihad, talked about uh, the warfare, the techniques of, of, of the Muslims. And, of course, that was not accepted readily. So all of this is this infiltration. So the point is not really what Ellison is talking about. My point is the infiltration by people like Ellison and by people, and we can go back to the House members. Don't forget, Ellison was part of, was one of the House members who had on payroll Imran Awan and Hina Alvi, the Awan Cabal, as did Debbie Wasserman Schultz as DNC, director of the DNC. So all of this is connected. I guess that's why I wanted to bring this up, because we're looking at this coup from within, this this horrific infiltration. And and we saw this we saw this before in post World War II in the post World War II era with the communists. Senator Joe McCarthy was correct. We saw this under Clinton to a lesser degree, but still there. And then we, we saw this accelerated under Obama. And I think that that this is perhaps represents our most dangerous, dangerous period. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman Report. Doug Hagman, Joe Hagman, something I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. All right, here on Global Star Radio Network and also BTR. That's Blog Talk Radio. Going to be right back. Coming up, William J. or Bill Federer, and uh, it's going to be a great, it's going to be a great hour. Stay right where we're at. Report Doug Hagman, Joe Hagman, heard right here on Global Star Radio Network and Blog Talk Radio, BTR, the fine folks there. Click follow, by the way. And we also have five hours of programming each day, three hours of our flagship show, and an hour for the Doug Hagman Radio Show, and an hour for John and Joe for the Hagman Daily Show. Tune in. That's um, my, I'm 9 to 10. And you guys are starting something new, Joe. You're starting. Yeah, tomorrow. And uh, from tomorrow moving forward, we're going to be live on Blog Talk Radio at noon. And part of that is going to include live audience interactions. We want to take calls each and every day. And uh, we hope people line up tomorrow at noon. The call-in number is, uh, I'm going to put it out on, I'm going to write up, do a little write-up, put it on Hagman Report. I'm going to put it out there on social media. Okay. But from now on, the shows will be live at noon, and you guys can call in. That's pretty cool. uh, Yeah, it'll be more interactive. All right. Well, I want to mention 
out of the gate that uh, tonight's program brought to you by Omaha Steaks. Oh, if you are looking to find that person that's so hard to buy for this holiday season, have we got the great gift for you, or even as a business gift to a colleague, a friend, hey, your parents, whatever. Uh, as a matter of fact, Omaha Steaks. Go to omahasteaks.com, and when you get there, type in HH in the search bar. What will come up are specials for only the Hagman listeners, and I've got to tell you, they've got this great family gift pack that's 75% off. It's under $50. More on that later. That's omahasteaks.com, HH in the search bar. Go there for sure. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, so, okay, so the new programming tomorrow, beginning with you tomorrow. Now, t- tomorrow I'm going to be, uh, uh, delving deep into some, uh, aspects, some very curious aspects of the deep state war against Donald Trump. Make sure you tune into that, uh, because I've got some, some things based on my research and investigation that I don't think many people have thought about, but I do believe and just to recap things, and we're going to get, uh, I think we're going to get the input from Bill Federer this hour on the indictment. Um, in, you know, Mueller was, the sole purpose of Mueller is to impeach, not indict, but to impeach Donald Trump. And I think that he's well on his way to do so. Now, what will happen at that point? I, I do suspect that the left is going to, going to, you saw how they reacted to the fake news of Brian Ross and that the vile, vicious glee from people like Joy Behar. Yeah, it was just, who celebrates the takedown? Uh, and uh, who would celebrate? Well, it'd be one thing if, if it this? was, if, if, it'd be one thing if, if Donald Trump was, you know, committing treason against the United States or there was an actual crime that he committed against you know the people of this country uh, right. or against the duties of his office but that's I mean they were already fishing and grasping at straws to begin it's with. pure hatred it, it is it's it's, exactly it's, yeah. driven by evil yeah and I think and I really believe this and I think repetition is necessary you may get tired of hearing it but I think it's important to, to really reinforce our points that it seems very clear to me now that nobody expected, nobody within the government expected Donald Trump to, to pull off a victory. He did. Certainly not Hillary Clinton. Uh, she didn't even have a concession speech written up. And Doug Weed, who's a historian, I'm a fan of Doug Weed, uh, his work with, uh, five presidents, I believe it is now. Uh, excellent, uh, a great guy, a very personable guy. In fact, I met him in, uh, I think it was Washington. Yeah, I met him in Washington. There about 20, 20 years ago. And, uh, you see, in fact, I had him sign one of, one of his books, but nonetheless, he's, uh, I, I think what we're seeing now from a historical pr- perspective and then from a deep state shadow government perspective is the takedown of our republic. That's the intended goal here. If we can't have it, no one's going to have it. We're going to burn it to the ground. And, and that's what's taking place. So the minutia is important and how things are playing out. And I think one thing that was said this, uh, this past weekend, the Department of Justice and the FBI was ruined under Barack Hussein Obama. And I'm not talking about the rank and file members of the FBI or even at the Department of Justice. I'm talking about the higher echelons. The DOJ and FBI were actually ruined under Obama. They were, they were politicized, weaponized for political purposes. And I had mentioned too, 
about a list. <laughs> Is there a list of, of people uh, that are targets of the shadow government via the Department of Justice via the FBI. Yes, there is. And it, this was true under Obama. Um, uh, whether it's true right now or not, I think elements of the remaining holdovers are working on this list. Now, a top on this list, of course, aside from Donald Trump, is Donald Trump Jr. and, of course, Jared Kushner. So I think that we're going to see more come up. But in the at the end of the day, I do believe, and I'm starting to see some cracks in the veneer that's shielding Hillary Clinton and Huma Abedin. Will these, will this lead to any kind of investigation? There is an OIG investigation of the FBI and DOJ, as I mentioned before, but will that lead into more of an investigation into Hillary, the Hillary service? One thing I, I want to mention is Tom Fitton from Judicial Watch has done a great job, uh, with respect to his legal actions against the Department of Justice, against the FBI, even under Sessions. And and it surprises me because he said that even under Sessions, even during a Trump administration, they are getting so much blowback or they're getting so much resistance to turning over information, even under this Trump administration. So what's that all about? Uh, And and that just reflects, in my view, the holdovers and holdouts and the uh, really the uh, effectiveness of the shadow government that's in place. The last thing I want to mention too about, about Tom Fitton, uh, by the way, for Attorney General, you don't need to be an attorney to be Attorney General of the United States. That's not in the job description. I, I'm not sure if there ever was not one historically, but you don't need, that's not part of the job description. But we need a more effective Attorney General in my view. I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Jeff Sessions is useless, in my opinion, as attorney, uh, you know, from recusing himself from every and any uh, case that he is asked to look into. He's really one of the reasons behind this whole Mueller mess, and we do need a very strong leader who's not afraid of what people think or public opinion, and I think that is one of Sessions' downfalls, is that he is uh, somebody who... Who cares about what the people think and uh, is afraid to do his job because of that? We have with us our guest, our debut guest, Mr. Bill Federer. And he's got an awesome bio. He's an author who has written over 20 books, including George Washington Carver, His Life and Faith in His Own Words, America's God and Country, Encyclopedia of Quotations, to uh, this one sounds very interesting. Um, three Secular Reasons Why America Should Be Under God and What Every American Needs to Know About the Quran, A History of Islam in the United States. His recent books, American Minute and America's God and Country, Encyclopedia of Quotations, are excellent reads and would make thoughtful, fantastic holiday gifts. Mr. Federer, welcome to the Hagman Report. It's an honor to be with you tonight. Well, the honor is all ours. We, we can, uh, we, we love history. We love the historical context of, of current events. And if we can, um, let's start there, uh, if you don't mind. We're living in some very interesting times, aren't we? Well, we are. And, uh, one of the talks I give, I start off with a digitized picture and you're so zoomed in, all you see is the pixels. And I ask the audience, what are you looking at? And what you can't tell them until you click zoom out. 
Sometimes all we know is the day-to-day headlines, and we can't tell what we're looking at until we zoom out and look at some history. One of the books that I put together this last year is called Who is the King in America? It's actually an overview of all the world's history and how the most common form of government is a king. So writing was invented around three or 4,000 B.C., a Sumerian cuneiform on clay tablets. And from that time till now, uh, the records show the most common form of government is a king, a pharaoh, Caesar, Kaiser, Sultan, Tsar. And if you've ever seen a nautilus shell that does the little circle, little bigger circle, little bigger, bigger circle, that's called the Fibonacci sequence or a, a ratio of geometric expansion called the golden ratio. But if you plot out these world empires, you see they go from small to bigger to bigger. And you have Gilgamesh, king of Uruk, and then Sargon of Akkadia, 2250 B.C., conquers from the Persian Gulf to the Mediterranean. And then 2,000 years of Egyptian pharaohs. And then Assyria had the largest empire in the world around 700 B.C. And then uh, the Babylonians conquered them. And then Cyrus of Persia had the biggest empire until it was conquered by Alexander the Great, then conquered by the Romans, then conquered by Attila the Hun. Uh, you keep going forward. Uh, uh, Genghis Khan conquers from Korea to Hungary in the 1200s. He has the largest contiguous land empire. And then you get to the maritime empires of Spain and France and ultimately England. So the king of England was like a globalist. He controlled 13 million square miles, a half a billion people, all of India, a quarter of the world's population right there. And when America's founders got the chance, they wanted to flip it and make the people the king. And this was a total anomaly on the planet. It wouldn't have happened without some unique um, things of a 3,000-mile ocean and so forth. But America's founders were experimenting in letting the people rule themselves. They did look back to the Roman Republic, and the, which lasted until Julius Caesar found a way to usurp power and make himself a dictator. Uh, they did look back to the Athenian democracy and, until Alexander the Great's dad, uh, Alexander uh, Philip of Macedon, uh, found out that he could bribe citizens of Athens with money under the table, and they would betray their own city. Uh, but ultimately, the founders looked back to ancient Israel. So around 1400 B.C. is when Israel comes out of Egypt. For 400 years, they do not have a king. This is literally the first instance in recorded human history of a nation with millions of people and no king. And it worked for 400 years as long as the priests taught the system. And when they didn't, the rubber band snapped back and they got King Saul, who turned around and killed most of the priests. But America's founders looked back to these examples and they strove and they did sort of a uh, hybrid uh, to give us this form of government where we the people get to be in charge of our faith. So a republic is where the people are king ruling through representatives. And when we pledge allegiance to the flag and to the republic for which it stands, we're basically pledging allegiance to us being in charge of ourselves. Right? And so when somebody protests the flag, what they're effectively saying is, I don't want to be the king anymore. I protest this system where I get to participate in ruling. Well, guess what? Uh, if you're not involved, somebody else will determine the fate of your life. Well, that's the, the general gist of the book. But in the back of it, I go through how democracies and republics fall and how dictators end up usurping power. And that has some application for today, if you would like me to get into that. Please. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's very relevant to today. And one of the things we've done on this show is, uh, you know, look at the similarities uh, specifically from the fall of Rome, the Republic of Rome, and how that fell, and the similarities between 
uh, what we see happen there versus what's happening in America today. But, yeah. And I just want to add one thing. I would urge everyone, if, if you're interested in a very well-written, very well-articulated book, Who is the King in America and Who are the Counselors to the King? This was published just at the, the beginning of the year. Bill Federer is the author, and it's uh, doing great on Amazon. It's got a lot of great reviews. So think of your Christmas gift. This is a great stocking stuffer by Will, William Federer. As a matter of fact, that's going on my list for uh, my wife, I'm going to tell her I, I want that book. And, uh, Bill, if I can wrestle you for a, a signed copy, that would be even better. But having said that, go ahead, please, continue. Well, 500 years ago, Italy was not Italy. Italy was a bunch of city-states. Venice, Genoa, Naples, Florence, Siena. And they all had armies and navies and fought. And so a guy named Machiavelli thought if one prince could control all of Italy, it would stop the infighting between these noblemen's republics. And so Machiavelli wrote the book called The Prince, where he advocated the ends justifies the means. The end of one prince controlling all of Italy is such a good end that any means necessary to get there is justified. Why, cheap steel? So if a prince conquers a city, the people would hate him. But if the prince ahead of time paid criminals to kill cows and burn barns and create crisis and domestic disturbances, the people would cry out for help. The prince would come in and dispatch the very people that he uh, bribed to cause the crisis in the first place, and everyone would praise the prince as a hero. So it's good marketing. You create the need and fill it. You go around the back of the house and set it on fire, and then you go around the front of the house and sell them a fire extinguisher, and they'll pay anything for it and thank you for being there. So it's called Machiavellianism, where you create or capitalize on Christ. That was 500 years ago, and lots of politicians have studied Machiavelli, one being Hegel. So in the early 1800s, Germany was not German. It was a bunch of provinces, Saxony, Bavaria, Prussia, and they had armies and fought. And uh, Frederick of Prussia wanted to unite them, and so his philosopher was George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. And he did a take on Machiavelli, but he sort of made an equation out of it. And it's called Hegelian Dialectics. And if you can imagine a triangle, one corner is the thesis, the opposite corner is an antithesis or antithesis, and the top corner is a synthesis. It sounds complicated, but it's not. In other words, you start off at the first corner, then you create the antithesis. You create a crisis that's real bad. And then everybody's happy to settle for your answer that's half as bad, the synthesis. That becomes the new thesis, and then you create another problem that's real bad, and everybody's happy to settle for your answer that's half as bad. You do this over and over again until the people give up their freedoms and powers reconcentrated back into the hands of a king. And so Karl Marx took this, and how do you create an antithesis? Well, you send in agent provocateurs, provoking agents, community organizers, labor organizers, their job, find people with grievances that you can stir up until there's rioting and bloodshed and lawlessness, and then everybody will surrender their freedoms to someone who promises to restore order. But when they do, the dust settles, and you've just returned back to a king. Uh, and so 45 countries have fell the communist dictators this way. And so they would send in their organizers and organize the proletariat against the bourgeois, which is the working class against the business owners. They'd organize the blacks against the whites, the Catholics against the Protestants, the Hutus against the Tutsis in the Congo and Rwanda. 
They really don't care who the two sides are, and they really don't care what the issues are. Their goal is the destabilizing domestic crises. Sort of the David Horowitz quote, the issue is never the issue. The issue is always the revolution. And so they really don't care about, uh, you know, flags and Confederate statues or whatever. Their goal is the destabilizing crises. Well, so now we've talked about Machiavelli. We've talked about Hegel. And the next is Saul Alinsky. Now, who is he? Saul Alinsky rode around with Al Capone's hitmen in Chicago and saw how all he had to do was kill a few people, smash a few windows, and the whole neighborhood would submit to the mob and pay extortion protection money. And so he applied this to politics, where you create really bad crises. And so Hillary Clinton did her senior thesis at Wellesley College on Saul Alinsky. And President Obama was a Saul Alinsky community organizer there in Chicago. So what did Saul Alinsky say? He said a community organizer's job is to rub raw the resentments of the people of the community. Fan the flames of hostility to the point of overt expression. The community organizer must seek out controversy rather than avoid it, for unless there is controversy, the people are not motivated enough to act. So this is the politics that has been being played out in America. It's the intentional creating of crises so that there can be a destabilization, and then when the lawlessness gets out of control, people will say, we need someone from the government to restore order, and they come in and collect everybody's guns and yeah, they'll restore order, but when the dust settles, you will fundamentally transform your country from the people ruling themselves from the bottom up to a king or a dictator ruling from the top down. Uh, is this making sense? It's making, not only is it making sense, but when people speak of the Hegelian dialectic, oftentimes they don't know uh, what they're speaking of. When people talk about Saul Alinsky, they don't know the backstory. As a matter of fact, the information you provided uh, was enlightening to me as well. So it's not only making sense, it's it's informational, and uh, I, I love it. So the context here is so important, especially against the uh, the backdrop against what, what's happening today. Go ahead and continue, sir. And so we see this from the French Revolution uh, to the Lenins taking over of the, uh, the czarist Russia, that it's, you want to create a crisis. Now, uh, another definition that I'd like to bring up, communism is nothing more than monarchy. And you think, really? You'll think of it. Every communist country has a dictator. Stalin, Pol Pot, Ho Chi Minh, Castro, Mao Zedong. And the communist party members are the new royalty. They get the nice houses and nice neighborhoods, and then the people are the subjects. Their fate's determined by the state. And socialism is nothing more than monarchy. You think, really? Well, Hitler was the head of the National Socialist Workers' Party. And also, the Soviet Union is the USSR, Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. And they all have dictators. And uh, students in college, will they'll say, well, I thought communism and socialism is where everybody owns everything equally. Let's think a little deeper. Who decides who lives in the nice house and who lives in the dumpy house? Uh, somebody in the government dictates those things. Well, whoever ultimately dictates those things is the dictator, right? And so when you have a centralized form of government, you think of it, the most communist country on the planet is what? Maybe North Korea? You know the actual name for the North Korean government? 
the Democratic People's Republic. It's not democratic. The people have no say. There's no representative republic. It's a dictatorship with the supreme leader, Kim Jong-un. And so the idea is we have to look at the function, not at the names, but we'll see that the, the spectrum of power, one side is total government, the other side is no government. Total government, you have a dictator who rules through fear. No government is anarchy. Unless, and this is where ancient Israel uh, comes into the picture, no government's anarchy unless the people are taught a moral law. And so the priest's job in ancient Israel was to teach the population this moral law. But wait a second. What would motivate you to want to follow an internal moral law? Well, again, ancient Israel had the key ingredient, a God who is watching everyone. He wants you to be fair, and he's going to hold you accountable in the future. So you're about to steal. Nobody's around. And then you think, uh, God is watching me. He wants me to be fair. He's going to hold me accountable. Maybe I should hesitate stealing. And it creates something in the back of your head called a conscience. So if everybody in the country believes this, you can maintain complete order with no policeman following anybody around. Maximum liberty. Now, it only works with the God of the Bible. An Islamic Allah God says there's an infidel woman there. Nobody's around. You can rape her. It's okay. The God of the Bible says do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So it's a complete system. One side is total government. The other people have these internal laws. It's sort of like everybody downloads a behavioral app on their iPhone. Instead of GPS telling them what to turn, it tells them how to act. But again, what would motivate someone to follow that is this concept that uh, you're being watched uh, by this God, and he wants you to be fair. He's going to hold you accountable. And so this is the idea that America's founders drew upon when they formed our government, and specifically uh, Connecticut and Rhode Island and Massachusetts, these uh, Puritan uh, colonies where you had pastors and their congregations starting little communities, and then Con- Connecticut became called a constitution state, and then it was a blueprint for the bottom-up form of government that we have, where it's governed by the consent of the governed. But uh, but again, you look at history and you see where uh, these attempts to rule without a king uh, always end up falling. Why? Well. There's a loss of this consciousness of a God. There's a loss of internal morals. And then you have people yielding to their selfish side. And then you have more domestic chaos and smashing windows and setting buildings on fire and lawless mobs in the street. And then there's the uh, call for some big, strong power to come in and take over. And again, when the dust settles, you'll transition back to a a king. And um, uh, last year I was visiting with Ed Meese, the former attorney general under Ronald Reagan, and he was explaining that whenever, under the Obama administration, whenever there were riots and accusations of racism, that uh, Obama's Department of Justice, uh, Loretta Lynch, would uh, have the federal government come in and investigate the sheriff's department. And the sheriff instead of looking to report to the people who voted him in, now he's looking to possibly being uh, accused of of violating some federal crime. And again, a polarity change from the bottom up to the top down. And this was happening in city after city after city. And I think, in a sense, we may have been one major national crisis away from totally transitioning to a dictatorship. And I feel that uh, Trump's election was a, a monkey wrench in there their plans. 
but as you mentioned um, uh, in the intro, that uh, they still have their plans and they're still trying to enact them uh, behind the scenes. And it's, it is a, a struggle for the very soul of the republic. Yes, it is. And our guest is Bill Federer. We got about a minute before the break. Uh, Bill, I want to ask you this. The Founding Fathers uh, left us with many wonderful quotes. One of them is that the Constitution, and I don't have it verbatim here, but the Constitution is for a moral and religious people. Just in the, in the last minute, why do you think that that is the way that is? Uh, well, that's the John Adams quote, and even George Washington in his farewell address, he says uh, that religion and morality are indispensable supports. And uh, again, it goes back to uh, Montesquieu, was a French political writer in 1748, wrote the Spirit of the Laws. He divided governments in three, uh, republics, monarchs, despots. Republics, the people rule themselves, but the people need to have virtue. And he said, this is most prevalent in Protestant countries of Northern Europe. He says, monarchs, which is sort of like a, 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 a king with strings attached, uh, monarchs rule through honor and dishonor. And this is most prevalent in the Catholic countries of Southern Europe. And But then Montesquieu goes on, he says, despots rule through fear. And this is most prevalent in the Ottoman Empire, where the Turkish sultans will chop somebody's head off and so forth. <laughs> and so for us as a republic to work, Montesquieu says the people need virtue. They need this internal morality. And so this is the idea that the people are the king. I, in one of my talks, I say, imagine visiting a king and maybe in the Old Testament, and you're going through the streets of Jerusalem, and you're witnessing murder, rape, and crime, and then you get into the king's chamber, and he has his head in his hand, he's all worried, he looks up at you, and he says, did you see all that crime coming in here? I wish somebody would fix it. And you, like, reach over and tap him on the shoulder, say, excuse me, you're the king. You're the one that's accountable to God to fix it. That's like somebody in America watching TV, maybe even watching this show, and saying, you know, there's all these problems in the in the country, I wish somebody would fix it. Hello, reach through the TV tube or the screen and tap you on the shoulder. You're the king. You're the one accountable to God to fix this mess. Yeah. Well, I need some- yeah. And Bill, hold that thought. We're right up against the break. Our guest, Bill Federer, he is an author, author of American Minute. We're going to be right back with him after the short break. Don't go anywhere. And welcome back to this edition of the Hagman Report. Our guest, Bill Federer. This is a this is a guy who I could spend a week with. I could sit down and and have a cup of coffee with Bill Federer and just listen and just say, you know what, just talk. And uh, because plus his library of the books he has written, it, just unbelievable. Uh, just a wealth of knowledge from uh, who is the king in America. And, uh, uh, who are the, uh, counselors to the king, to the, uh, the history of, of Islam and, and such. In fact, I'm going to put a link to all of his books on the, in the program description. You've got to take a look at this. Great gifts for Christmas, especially for those people interested in understanding what's taking place through the lens of, uh, of, of his, of history. And, and again, I could talk with Bill all day long. Before we get back to Bill, I want to mention that, um, speaking of gifts, give the gift of a box of steaks or give it to yourself. You know, my wife, uh, uh, just loves to get Omaha steaks, omahasteaks.com. 
is the place to go. Instead of going out in the snow, you know, when, when it ends up to your hips, have it, have your meat delivered to you or, or, or have, if you, if you can't think of a gift for that, that someone, that special someone, perhaps a boss even, this is a perfect gift for someone who has it all. Let me tell you about Omaha Steaks and how for under $50, for $49.99, you can get my family gift pack when you go to omahasteaks.com and enter our code HH in the search bar. Folks, that's 75% off. And they've got over 500 gourmet gift ideas. They've got great steak experiences at home. They offer, they offer the most flavorful tender aged beef. They've got seafood, poultry, pork, veal, lamb, and, and so many other other gourmet items. You can spend all day long at omahasteaks.com. But again, don't forget to put HH in the search bar. Right now, Omaha Steaks is giving you, our listeners and viewers, an exclusive savings just to you. Listen to everything you'll get for under $50 very quickly. Two filet mignons, two top sirloins, two boneless pork chops, four boneless chicken breasts, and they're fantastic. Uh, everything's fantastic. Four steak burgers, four potatoes au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets, which uh, I know Eric the Tech and John, they fight over all the time, and i got to break them up. And, of course, the Omaha Steak Seasoning Packet and four kielbasa sausages, plus you'll also get extra four free kielbasa sausages by ordering this pack. When you go to omahasteaks.com, enter our code HH in the search bar, you'll get a 75% savings. All that, all of that for just $49.99. omahasteaks.com, HH in the search bar. You can't beat that. And that makes, again, it makes a great gift. Bill Federer is our guest. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing writer. And I highly recommend all of his books. We were, we left off, uh, and of course we're talking about, uh, his latest book, Who is the King in America? I think it's so prescient right now. Uh, and of course, uh, let's continue with that because you made some, some excellent points and right up against the break, you got kind of cut off there. So if you want to continue with that thought going forward about, uh, you know, yeah, reaching through and tapping, hey, you're the king, you know, basically, you're the king. You can fix all of these issues. Well, it, it is an, an interesting thought that someone would say, well, I need somebody to tell me what to do. Since when does the king sit on his throne and say, can somebody tell me what I'm supposed to do here? Hey, butler, come here. Uh, cook, what am I supposed to do? No, it's your job to educate yourself on the issues. Uh, watch the Hagman Report and get educated. But then you need to uh, seek the Lord and you need to tell your representatives what needs to happen. You're the king. Uh, you know, one of the other concepts that is important to understand is deconstruction. It's a communist tactic to uh, basically take over a country. But um, it's a car goes from drive neutral into reverse. And so it's this idea you want to separate a people from their past, get them into a neutral where they do, do not remember where they came from, and then it's easy to brainwash them into the future you have planned for them, sort of a cultural uh, DNA uh uh, gene therapy thing. So if I was um, a toothpaste salesman, the first thing I would do is say negative things about the toothpaste you are currently using. You're still using that old stuff. Don't you know it'll eat the enamel off your teeth? Ooh, you're repulsed by it. Now I've got you into a neutral position. You're sort of open-minded. What are all the toothpaste out there nowadays? And then I can give you my pitch for this tartar control breath freshener stuff. So they go into the classrooms and they tell the students negative things about the founders of the country. They took land from Indians, some people into slavery, and ooh, the students are repulsed by them. Now you got the kids into the neutral. They're sort of open-minded. What are all the belief systems out there nowadays? Then you can give them your pitch for socialism or LGBT or Islam. 
And so we see Europe went through this. Europe went from a Judeo-Christian past, right? Catholic cathedrals, Protestant Reformation, Jewish neighborhoods. And then Europe went into a secular neutral with the French Revolution. And uh, Napoleon spreading this French secularism all around Europe. And anything goes, right? Free sex and LGBT, all that agenda. But now Europe is entering an Islamic future with Mohammed being the number one name for newborns in London, Milan, and Brussels. And Europeans are scratching their head thinking, how did we get here? And so in that sense, the whole gay agenda is, in a certain perspective, simply a transition phase from the Judeo-Christian past to the Muslim future. It's not an end in itself. And we see this transition in the uh, school system, where we've gone from Bibles in the schools to condoms in the schools, and now it's hijabs in the schools. Uh, we can look at uh, China. Uh, when Mao Zedong took over in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, he had what's called a cultural revolution. What's that? He destroyed 5,000 years of Chinese culture, uh, museums and artwork and libraries, and killed anybody that knew anything about the past, doctors, lawyers, teachers. If you wore glasses, they figured you could read. If you could read, you were educated, and they killed you. They killed 80 million people so that they had this mass of a billion uneducated young people that they could easily brainwash into the People's Republic of China. Pol Pot did the same thing in Cambodia. And so it's this idea where you want to criticize the past so that you can separate from it, and then you get into the neutral, and then you can take them into whatever future you have planned. So America's founders, for all their faults, they gave us a form of government where we're the king of our fate. And when they deride our founders and say, oh, they were terrible, the kids are like, oh, well, whatever they created must have been bad. Kids to say, well, the government should be providing everything for you, right? And uh, I love the quote that Gerald Ford said. I, I read through all the messages of all the past presidents, I have to admit the most recent past president I have uh, not had the same uh, amount of studying for. But the previous ones, I've put together several books with all their quotes. And Gerald Ford, he must have mentioned it uh, 50 times. The government that's big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take away everything you have. And so it's this idea that you want to sell to the next generation. The government should take care of you, right? And they're like, oh, okay not realizing that uh, once everything you get is from the government, they can decide who gets it and who takes it away. Um, so uh, now, so that's the deconstruction concept I wanted to throw out. Uh, and another one is, is projection, uh, psychological projection. If you'd like, I can share that one in a minute or two. Sure. Yeah. And continue, please feel free. You've got the floor. Continue forward. Our guest is Bill Federer, uh, very prolific author, a very articulate historian. And again, someone I could, uh, probably visit at his home and, and, uh, stay the week and, uh, uh, just listen to him talk. So go ahead and continue, sir. So an interesting tactic that's being used quite often is called psychological projection or blame shifting, where the attacker blames the victim. And uh, Sigmund Freud is the one who coined the term where rude people project their rudeness onto others. And so hateful people call everybody else hateful. They'll even put up a website and list everyone that they hate. And so we see uh, this is used in politics, where if a candidate has something that they're doing wrong, they want to accuse their opponent of the exact same thing. So maybe if you're doing a Uranium One deal, 
and you're giving away a large percentage of American uranium in exchange for donations of $145 million from wealthy Russians. Uh, what do you want to do? You want to accuse your opponent of the exact thing. Uh, David Axelrod was Obama's campaign manager, and he said on an NPR interview, 2010, he said, in Chicago politics, we have a tradition where you throw a brick through your own campaign office window and then call a press conference to accuse your opponent. In other words, you do the crooked thing and you you blame your opponent for the exact same thing. What happens? The media looks at the opponent and the, the opponent has to spend all this time and energy trying to come clean. Meanwhile, his name is being associated with the accusation. And for a certain percentage of the public, name association uh, is enough to figure if there's smoke, there's fire. And so they get a negative. And if it finally comes around to you pointing back at the other person. So wait a second, you're the one that's really done it. By this time, the public's worn out, and it's sort of a wash, and you think, ah, they're all crooks, you don't know who to can trust, and they get away with it. So again, if you're a politician, you're running for office, and you get word that the other side's about to release some attack against you, you call a press conference and accuse your opponent of the exact same thing. It's important for us to understand these tactics, because they are being used every single day in the media. And um, Yeah. Uh, one other uh, book that, well, I've got several books, but one of them that uh, is sort of fits into what we're talking about is this book, um, What Every American Needs to Know About the Quran, the History of Islam and the United States. And people say, well, what does that have to do? Well, we see a large amount of Muslim immigrants coming into Western Europe and coming into America, and we see that uh, population dynamics are changing. And it's important for us to understand that uh, there's lots of Muslims that just want to fit in, but there are some that have an agenda. And they think that they are following Muhammad's example. So uh, the best Muslim that ever lived was Muhammad. And so his life is called the Sunnah, the way, the example. And so if we look at Muhammad's life, we get some very interesting insight into those that are trying to be like him. So Muhammad was born in 570 A.D., and his father dies before he is born. His mother dies when he's six years old. His grandfather and guardian die when he's eight years old. He's orphaned, taken in by an uncle, Abu Talib, who takes him on camel rides as a merchant. And then Muhammad begins to hear about the different religions and the different areas and begins to piece together uh, his faith. And we see that uh, he begins his faith Officially in 610 A.D., he goes to the city of Mecca, and he's wanting to make converts, and he only makes 70 converts in 12 years, and not very many. He begins to get confrontational, and the people of Mecca decide that he is a disturber of the peace, and they chase him out of town in the year 622 A.D. Uh, Muhammad had tried to go to a city called Al-Taif, they didn't want him. They pelted him with rocks and stones, chased him out. Muhammad had nowhere to go. He was a Muslim refugee. So he goes 210 miles to the north to a Jewish city called Medina. The Jews are nice and tolerant, and they let Muhammad in as a Muslim immigrant. He goes into the minority neighborhoods in Medina, and he begins to organize a following amongst people who have grievances against the Jewish government of the city. And when we're familiar with the term of organizing in the community, when his following gets large enough, he and his followers pressure the Jews to accommodate him and the followers politically. 
the Jews do and make a treaty with Muhammad. So now Muhammad is a political leader in addition to being a religious leader. Now Muhammad's followers back in Mecca begin to get confrontational. They are chased out of town for disturbing the peace. They are Muslim refugees. And they go north to Medina, and the Jews let them in as Muslim immigrants. And Muhammad allows his followers to rob the caravans headed to Mecca in retaliation for the Meccans having chased them out of town. So where Jesus said, if they take your coat, give them your shirt, Muhammad's attitude was, if they take your house, you retaliate, take their caravan. So he gets a whole chapter of the Quran, it's Surah 8, chapter 8, on how to distribute booty from robbing caravans. Muhammad gets a fifth of the booty personally. And so the Meccans send a thousand soldiers to escort and protect their caravan, and Muhammad, with 300 warriors, defeats them at the Battle of Badra in 624 A.D. This amazing victory, having been outnumbered three to one, convinces Muhammad to be a military leader. And he fights in 66 battles and raids in the next eight years before he dies. He uh, even uses the catapult when he attacked the city of Al-Taif. And when they told him the catapult was hurling these rocks that were killing innocent women and children, Muhammad's response was, they are among them. So they got to be killed too. So suicide bombers and ISIS killers and San Bernardino killers and Orlando gay nightclub killers say it's all okay to kill innocent people to advance Islam because Muhammad did. And since he is those that want to be like him religiously, politically, and militarily. So within five years of Muhammad coming as an immigrant into the Jewish city of Medina, there is not a Jew left in the city of Medina. They were chased out, killed, or enslaved. Within five years of Muhammad's death, every pre-existing culture in Arabia was wiped out. In the next 50 years, the rightly guided caliphs and their armies conquered Jerusalem, which had been a Byzantine Christian city since Constantine, and then they conquered Syria. People forget Syria used to be completely Christian. Evangelized by the Apostle Paul, the name Christian was first used in Syria until Caliph Umar conquered it around 638. And then in 642 A.D., Muslim leader Amir ibn al-As invades Egypt. Egypt used to be completely Christian, evangelized by Mark that wrote the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then uh, the Muslims conquered North Africa. People forget all of North Africa was Christian. There were 250 Catholic dioceses along North Africa. St. Augustine of Hippo was from Carthage. Today that's Tunisia. But the Christians had embraced this pietism, this movement that said if you really become a Christian, you should give away your money and join a monastery or live in a cave. And so it was withdrawing from society. So as a consequence, in 10 years, the Muslims conquered all of North Africa. In the year 711, they crossed the Strait of Gibraltar and conquered Spain. So the Spaniards were still fighting on foot with heavy metal swords. Muslims were on Arabian horses with stirrups and scimitar swords. So in 10 years, they conquer all of Spain, carry away over a million into slavery. Then they cross the Pyrenees Mountains, conquer southern France, and they're finally stopped outside of Paris at the Battle of Tours in 732 A.D., exactly 100 years after the death of Muhammad in 632 A.D. So they go from Arabia to Paris in a 100-year military campaign. And since this is the first century of Islam, there are those uh, in the Muslim world that look to this as their example the same way Christians look to the first century of Christianity in the early church uh, as their example. And uh, and so then uh, another wave happened. The Turks convert to Islam, and they invaded to what is today Turkey. Back then, 
Turkey used to be the Byzantine Christian Empire. All seven churches mentioned in the last book of the Bible uh, were there, all wiped out by the Ottoman Turks. And the letters in the New Testament to Ephesus and Colossae, Corinth, Philippi, all those cities were wiped out by the Muslim Turks. So the Greek Christians beg the Catholic West for help. The West sends help. It's called the Crusades. Uh, and they go for about two centuries and fizzle. And then the Muslims pick up where they left off. And in 1453, they conquer Constantinople. And why is this significant? Well, Constantinople was the capital of Europe. It was like the New York City where the East and West met. When the Muslims conquered it, it ended the land trade routes to get from Europe to India and China. Again, the year is when? 1453. So that's when the Western Europeans begin to look for a sea route to India and China. And in 1492, Columbus set sail. So think of it. Columbus would have never set sail over here if it had not been for an Islamic jihad over there. Uh, Columbus thought he made it to India, so he names the people he meets the Indians. Think of it, we never even would have called Native Americans Indians if it had not been for Islamic Jihad, right? Because the Muslims had cut off the land routes to India. And so we see that uh, they surround Vienna, Austria twice, and they begin to invade into Eastern Europe. And um, And so there's this tradition in Islam that is religious, and political and military. Now, over the years, they would go through stages of backsliding and become less violent, and that is something that we like. Um, but in Islam, they have a concept. When your enemy is strong, retreat. When your enemy is weak, attack. Pretty simple. And so when the non-Muslim world would show itself strong by winning the Battle of Lepanto, Battle of Tours, Battle of Vienna, the Muslim world would retreat and lick their wounds and think, well, we'll still conquer the world for Allah, but it may have to wait till later. But when the non-Muslim world shows itself weak, they take this as a signal from Allah that they are supposed to attack. And uh, as much as I wow. hate to admit, it's sort of like the law of the jungle applied ideologically, that weakness invites aggression. Okay, you, you just explained a, a part of history. I, I don't think too many people really understand and it's so important for again for the context of what we're seeing today uh wow okay you just covered a lot of ground a lot of history a lot of <laughs> quite a few centuries there isn't that interesting isn't that amazing okay uh wow to the the political change as well and if you want i can sort of weave that Please. in yes yeah we got about five minutes yeah th- this is fantastic go ahead so the great Ottoman Empire uh, finally falls apart and after World War One, And you had uh, Turkey had a leader named Ataturk, and he wanted to secularize Turkey. And he said, Mohammedism may have done for tribes in the desert. It's no good for a modern progressive state. And so he outlaws the Fezes, the Burkas. He outlaws the Arabic language. He has them dress in Western business suits and shave their faces. I mean, he moves the holy day from Friday to Saturday and Sunday because he wants to fit in with Western Europe. So Turkey's moving from 1924 to 1938. And then we have the a leader of Egypt, Nasser. And he, you can see pictures of Cairo, Egypt in the 1960s and 70s. Looks like the Beach Boys, uh, you know, with the swimming suits. And then you look at the Shah of Iran. And he loved America. I actually met his son. And uh, there's pictures of him with Eisenhower and Truman and Kennedy and um and so the Muslim world was moving in a 
less uh, fundamental direction and becoming more pro-West until two things happened. One was the Saud family had teamed up with the Wahhabi religion, which is the violent sect. Uh, even Sir Lawrence of Arabia called it a puritanical, heretical sect of Islam uh, that's very violent. Anyway, when the Sauds conquer Mecca in 1924, now the, the pilgrimages that Muslims take from around the world, they're getting infected with this Wahhabi version of Islam. But the big thing happened in 1938. That is when Standard Oil Company, you know him, John D. Rockefeller, richest man in the world, and all of the oil companies, and then he donates the land for the United Nations, Chase Manhattan Bank. Uh, the Standard Oil Company discovers oil in Saudi Arabia. And in one generation, Saudi Arabia goes from the poorest Muslim country to the richest Muslim country. And what do they do with their newfound wealth? They become a magnet for fundamentalism. And then they use their money to support uh, fundamentalist groups that want to establish uh, the fundamentalism. And they buy politicians with lots of money. And so they have lots of money to give. And so we see that from 1938, Saudi Arabia has been pushing this fundamentalist um, ideologically uh, radicalizing effect. So 9 out of 10 mosques in America and in Europe and across Africa are financed by Saudi Arabia. And they're pushing this fundamentalist view. And so what happens is when the, uh, if it would have left to itself, we would have had a more moderate uh, Middle East like the Shah and like Nasser and like Ataturk. But now with the Saudi money funneling into these groups, wanting to stir up and now you mix it in with the globalist agenda. Uh, this idea that you need crises to allow people to be motivated to give up their freedoms, they have the crises solved. Now you've got people that are fundamentally uh, and ideologically motivated coming into all these countries, uh, ready to create crises uh, so that there can be this uh, usurping of power even on a global scale. There's a whole lot more there, but uh, we're running out of time. Yes. Is called what every American needs to know about the Quran, a history of Islam in the United States. And, and I've got to tell you, that's a fantastic book in the context, again, provided. We just found our own official Hagman professor of history and of uh, historical context right here in, in Bill Federer. By the way, follow him on Twitter at Bill Federer um, on Twitter as well. And uh, his book's available. Just a tremendous author and historian. What a. The knowledge just before us, right, right in that hour, is just tremendous. Go ahead, Bill. What's the fa- what's your favorite book that you've written out of all your books? Well, I mean, I do like the George Washington Carver one. Uh, he was somebody from very disadvantaged backgrounds. Obviously, was born a slave, and um, he was raised by a white German couple that was childless, and um, but uh, he went to become a professor at Tuskegee for Booker T. Washington, who was a Republican. Booker T. Washington was the first black man to have dinner in the White House with Teddy Roosevelt. But uh, but George Washington Carver's attitude was, uh, there's a problem. I'm going to go into my laboratory and, and seek ideas from God. And he created hundreds of uses for the peanut, revolutionized the economy of the South. So I tell people there's two ways of looking at the world. One is this entitlement view of, I need somebody to take care of me. The other is, no, you can come up with ideas to revolutionize the world. You can be the answer to the problems. And that's why I really like the, the Carver book. Uh, there's others. Okay. We're coming up with Christmas season. I did a book on the history of St. Nicholas and Christmas holiday traditions. That's a fun one. 
And, uh, and then one I did with my wife called Miracles in American History. So they're stories from the Revolution as well. And you did a great article, by the way, did Anti-Federalists Foresee Modern-Day Dictators. If you go to uh, uh, Bill Federer on Twitter, um, you can. the link is there, as well as American Minute. But it's just fabulous. It's, it's a great article. Bill, we're going to have to have you back, if you don't mind. Uh, um, we appreciate your insights and your knowledge and how articulate and how you laid all of this out for everyone to understand. It's It's just fantastic. We really appreciate your time tonight. We really do. Bill, yeah, all right. Uh, that, that's Bill Federer and uh, his website, AmericanMinute.com. Also, the host of a radio program, Faith in History, on the TCT Network, and uh, going to have to check that out through Salem Radio Network. Wow, fantastic! Thank you, Bill, so yeah, much. thanks, Bill. Uh, somehow we got the audio kind of uh, messed up there a little bit, so if we seemed a little bit disjointed, we apologize. And we'll have to have him back on for sure. Absolutely, only scratch the surface, and uh, I I want to read some of these books. They uh, look very interesting. Man, I, I got to tell you the. Uh, uh, the, the the one in particular, who is the king in America, and who are the counselors to the king, seems to be so appropriate for the days in which we live currently. Give me right back. Stay right where you're at. This Monday edition of the Hagman Report, Steve Quayle, as well as Bob Griswold, are going to be joining us in this hour to talk about all things preparations, and that's going to be a very informative conversation. Real quick news item before we get to our guests. The Supreme Court has upheld Trump's, the Trump administration's ban on uh, travel which was highly contested since it was issued, the Supreme Court on Monday allowed the Trump administration to fully enforce a ban on travel to the United States by residents of six mostly Muslim countries. This is not a final ruling on the ban. Challenges to the policy are winding through federal courts, and the justices themselves ultimately are expected to rule on its legality. But the action indicates that the high court might eventually approve the latest version of the ban, announced by President Trump in September. Lower courts have continued to find problems with the policy. But uh, good news, at least for now, that the Supreme Court is upholding Trump's travel. Uh, and and next we're going to have to arrest judges. Yeah, of course, we're going to have to arrest the judges who are acting uh, super-constitutionally or uh, extra-constitutionally. By the way, leading off with this, I just want to say that if you have not purchased the True Legends DVD for the conference. Oh, you've got to do so. Let me tell you, it, it's a steal at twice the price. Uh, if you go to HagmanReport.com on the right, the icon for the DVD True Legends, the conference is there. What a Christmas gift that would make to anyone, uh, for anyone. And the eye-opening talks by... Uh, Dr. Michael Lake, by Tom Horn, by Steve, by Tim Alberino, and the inspirational parts, of course, by Henry Groover and Pastor David Langford. 
and his brother. It's just fabulous. So go to HagmanReport.com, click on the link there, or at stevequail.com. And I just want to mention that because uh, many people are, are doing their Christmas shopping right now. You don't even have to leave your house. Just a few mouse clicks and bam, there you go. What a tremendous gift. And I, I highly recommend that. I really do. With that, Steve Quayle from stevequail.com. Just a great, tremendous friend. Uh, I, I, I swear he's my, I call him my older brother. Um, because that's what it feels like. And of course, Robert Griswold as well. Steve, we're going to bring you in first. Steve, how you doing? everybody. Uh, thank you so much for giving the opportunity for uh, myself and Bob Griswold to talk because we want to talk about, I'd say, the most overlooked item that, you know, for years and years, Doug, uh, being in the prep business and being trying to, uh, having tried to warn people that the day would come when the blessings that we have been taking for granted are easy access to food and then nutritional food and now with all of the uh, uh, chemical uh, destruction going on in our food systems and sources, and what we're facing right now is, I would say this, we are facing a food apocalypse, if you will, the the revealing of just the lack of food that's going to be available. Fukushima has been the biggest covered up extinction level event in history. You couple that with uh, the stories of the Mississippi River drying up and there are areas where obviously the barges can't go, they can't bring their wheat and grains from the Midwest to different places to sell them. Then we've got the just absolute astonishing uh, climatic imbalances going on, not to mention the chemtrail spraying. And ladies and gentlemen, the idea is this. The nice thing about uh, uh, t- thinking about giving a food storage program or food storage uh, nutritional items, it's it's the gift that keeps on giving because it keeps the recipient in the world of a living. That's my new poem for you tonight. Give the gift that keeps on giving and keep the people in the land of living. So we're going to talk about what's going on now. I, I've been in the food business uh, for in the in the survival business, excuse me, prep business, whatever you want to call it, for 35 years. But I asked Bob if he would come on just to give a reality check because he's currently in that food, and we both are uh, dealers for Numana, which will give some specials out later, and probably one of the best food sources in the country, in my opinion. Uh, they've done some neat stuff for me at my, uh, and I say this, the, I know the food business pretty well. And what's going on right now, Doug, Joe, and listening audience, is that the idea that you can always get nutritional food is fast and it's quickly, swiftly fleeing away, excuse me, away. So, Bob, share what's going on because obviously you hear the scuttlebutt from different uh, purchasing departments. And let's try and, if, by the hour that God's given us tonight, let's try and get people to understand that it's a biblical principle. You'll sell your birthright when you're starving to death. Go ahead, Bob. Well, not only will you sell your birthright, Steve, but um, I remember one particular night I was in Pakistan, and um, I was in a cab driving around, and uh, we were at a stoplight, and this lady came up to me and knocked on the window and asked me for $100 and that she would give me her young daughter. Um, she needed that money to feed the rest of her family. Now, I suspect that mother loved her children as much as any other mother loves their children. 
we cannot even conceive of that in this country, that a mother would do such a thing. But desperation will drive people to do anything. We've mentioned the book, um, The Savage Continent, many times on this uh, nation, I mean, on this uh, program. And we see those nations that gave in to doctrines of demons in, a, in, in just about a decade. They went from the most evolved societies that humanity had ever known, the greatest art, literature, science, Everything came out of those countries, of Italy and Germany. After that was over, we saw people groveling in the streets doing unbelievably depraved acts just for a little food. You've read the quote, Steve, you know. And, and right now, in this country, we take it for granted that we can go down and purchase food. But I challenge people to look. When you go to your grocery store, look at the blank spaces that you will see. Look at how they are spreading out the food that there's more spaces in between the items. It is because there are delivery issues that are developing. And so they want to make it look, it's like the, the child who spreads his vegetables out on the table uh, on his plate to make it look like he's eating it all. But that's what's being done. We are being tricked and deceived into thinking that this just-in-time food delivery system is running the way it should. And in reality, like you said, Fukushima, there are just so many natural uh, disasters we've had, is affecting the ability to feed the people on this planet in a manner that... Just these last two natural disasters we had, the hurricanes, it wiped out all of the food industry, the, the long-term food industry in this country. Every one of them uh, were cleaned out by those two natural disasters. Uh, one one of the companies, you, you sent me the article, they are still not caught up. They're still three and four weeks behind. And some of them have caught up. But just imagine, Steve, if those two events can clean out the uh, you know long-term food storage um, supply in this nation, when, when the uh, critical event happens, when the America hits the, the wall event happens, it will not be available. And if you do not think you will be out there and I hate to say this, if you if you do not think you will be out there doing the same thing, selling whatever you have, whether it's your children or whatever, you are wrong. If you remember the story in the Bible of Joseph, you know, after the people had given up all their money, they gave up their land. So in the end, they lost everything they had. I imagine that there were wise people in the land of Egypt at that time that, that went to school on Joseph's dream and said, you know, I know the nation is storing food, but I'm going to do it for myself also. I imagine those people fared a lot better than the ones that had to come to the government, Joseph, and, and mortgage everything they had to feed their family. We do not know the power of starvation in this country and what it drives people to do. Steve, um, I don't know if it's fortunately or unfortunately, I've traveled to a lot of third world, very desperate places, and I'm telling you, you see need, and people will do anything. They will sell anything to meet that need. I think it's important, ladies and gentlemen, too, that you understand that the shortages are already showing up, not just in the food business, but I've bought by and, and Doug and Joe, people that are on uh, thyroid, especially uh, natural thyroid, they can't get it right now because the companies that produce it, are they're claiming they're way backed up. And even saline bags that used to sell for five bucks a piece, a doctor friend of mine said they're going for $35, $40, and they're in short supply. 
I think one of the things that most people don't understand, and, and I told all the newsletter writers that I know and guys that write uh, headlines, Doug, Joe, and Bob, on the words collapse mean nothing anymore. Economic Armageddon means nothing anymore. There are no terms that anyone can possibly uh, uh, use anymore because all of those words have ceased to be effective. It doesn't matter if you use colla- uh, catastrophe, uh, collapse, uh, 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 starvation. We're watching Venezuela starve, and you know, still the mainstream press doesn't say, where is all that money going because it's one of the largest oil producer exporters in the world. So somebody's getting rich at the expense of people dying. And again, I think what really is critical is if you look at all these survival shows on the History Channel or A&E or wherever they're at and they're all over the place, if you notice how long it takes for these guys who are some of the most rugged outdoorsmen, some of the toughest military guys, spec ops guys, Green Berets, you name it, they're there, but eventually they come to the F question, that's food. And the idea that everyone's going to go into the woods and live like uh, Daniel Boone when they possess not the skills, the knowledge, uh, or any of the understanding that everybody else who believes they're in the same category will be hunting for the same goods. You know, Doug, I've used this term before. You want to be where everyone else isn't. In any panic, that was kind of my, if you will, I guess you'd call it my motto for preparation. You don't want to be downtown when the streets are being burned and, and the stores are being looted. You want to avoid those areas at all costs. And unfortunately, there's an idyllic mindset that because, and I'm speaking not me now, I'm using me just in a first person, because people who think this mindset are really in trouble. Well, I'm a good person, and that won't happen to me. The good people, and God bless them, they're, you know, I, 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 I would encourage them to understand this. History is replete with the same political movements that we're seeing undergoing in the streets of America right now. And there are people that will run the, the estimates of up from 100 to 200 million people killed under Marxism and communism. Yet we're undergoing a complete civil war. We're undergoing, and, and when I say this, it's, it's, it's in the background, but it will come into the foreground with such fury. January, I believe the truckers have new regulations, which somebody, you know, has got to get uh, the administration's attention. You know, the farmers, excuse me, not the farmers, but the truckers are stretched as thin as they can get. I, I mean, when you appreciate how little a trucker makes over the road and his expenses, I'm not talking about fueling the rigs and stuff. I'm talking about these are the men that basically take whatever's produced and ladies who whatever's produced they deliver it to your table the store is just an intermediary so i think it's really critical that people understand this that there is no greater life assurance a s s u r a n c e than obviously planning for this. You can do a lot of things, but when you starve and obviously when the heat's off and those things, look, it's not it used to be, anybody who would talk about food storage, I got, and Bob, you know this, anybody in the prep business was called fear mongers, fear porn purveyors, selling fear to sell food, blah, 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 blah. 
But now you've got entire parts of the Pacific Ocean basically dead. There is no living organisms to eat. You've got the entire uh, Arctic now going into a treaty where they can't fish it for 16 years. You've got the situation where 50% of the Hawaiian Islands, the, the fish are turning up radioactive. And never in the history of the world have basic physics books been rewritten to accommodate the political agenda of the lying devils from hell that know exactly what's going on with ionizing radiation and all of the ramifications. And you think we got thyroid issues now, just wait another couple years. They won't report anything that's real. So tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we want to present what I'm calling a come to the breakfast table ahead of time and understand this, that there's way more to what's going to take place in the coming days. So I would encourage everyone to listen carefully because, look, Bob's been in the prep business 20 years. I was in it for 30-some years. And the deal is is that we actually know what's going on behind the scenes. And and I remember, Bob, when a certain, and I won't say agencies, government agencies, and called you and they got credit cards and they said, we'll take everything you got. I remember Shane Connor, uh, KI4U, when they'd land a, an airplane at the airport and say, bring everything you got. And they'd buy it all. Ladies and gentlemen, the underground bases, the military bases, the elite bases, they're stockpiling and storing because they know what comes tomorrow. Unfortunately, the people that are um, in denial may not see tomorrow. Go ahead, Bob. You're exactly right, Steve. We have so forgotten what need is in this country. You know, we have spent money that we don't have to keep the circus going, and yet we have come to the brick wall right now. We are coming to so many things, as you've pointed out. The debt is at crisis level. We have threatening nuclear war. We have threats of civil war. We have threats of EMP, disease, you name it. You know, Steve, when I was in prayer one time, God asked me, by whose standard do you judge? And, you know, we in this country have been trained to judge, well, the stock market's up. This is, this is, people are making money. And that is the standard by which we judge whether we have God's blessing on our nation. And yet we forget that the blood of 70 million children, that unrequited blood, still has been unaccounted for. We have made a mockery of marriage. Everything we can do to um, invoke the wrath of God on ourselves, we are doing as a nation. You remember what you said? God, before he judges America with nuclear fire from the Russians and Chinese, would reveal the sins of America's leaders to its people and the sins of, of, of the people before holy God. We see that going on right now. That's exactly what has happened. And if we think because the stock market is up, it is a sign of God's blessing, we have missed the mark biblically by a mile. We have there a great... Is... Yep. Go ahead. No, no, I, I agree, and, and, and continue to finish your thought. I'm sorry, I spoke my thought out before I let you finish yours. We, we have come to the point where we are facing the wrath of God. Now, again, you, you said people discount the words catastrophe, disaster, collapse. Because of what the church has done to the word of God in America, we have also done the same thing to the words of judgment of wrath, of indignation that God has against a nation that has murdered its children. 
that has made a mockery of, a, of the sanctity of marriage, the most holy institution God gave men, we make a mockery of it. Even in the church, it's divorce, remarried, divorce, remarried. And, and there are biblical causes for divorce, but it's not because I just don't like you anymore. And the church accepts all this. And so if we judge by the standard that God lays out in his word, which I think is the only standard we have, we should be like Isaiah. I mean, we should lose the strength in our knees and just fall and understand the devastation that is coming. And I cannot say it more. Do not look at the natural and make the judgment that the news media is trying to convince you of. Look at the Word of God. Make that judgment. See how God deals with nations that do that have done exactly what we're doing. Food is one of the things that is attacked. You look, the women of the nation are ravaged. You look at Europe right now. Those women are being ravaged, and the government is encouraging it. You, you look in this country. You look at that, that lady who was just raped, I think mur murdered, and the guy was let go. Nothing was done to him. He was acquitted. If you go to Deuteronomy 28, and again, we, may, we want to make a godly judgment, a godly discernment, and you read the judgments that God says he brings upon a nation that is under his wrath, we see every one of those in play. The blessing has left our nation. If the only reason you can have a stock market doing what we're doing right now is because we have spent so much money. I just read that article that there's $21 trillion missing. I mean, that money has been squandered out of our economy, and we are dead broke. We have no money. We have nothing left, and the world looks at us that way. Where we once were the light, uh, the shining, you know, the the, uh, the shining light on the top of a hill, we have now become a byword among the nations. And so, I call out to the people of God and those with a conscience. I, I've seen it. I mean, I, I have been there, Steve. I've, I, there's those things I wish I could unsee. I've seen people traded like, like they said, baseball cards. Women sold. I mean, in the, in the, in the thing I was hired to do, it was, there were some pretty vile things that you saw. But the thing you saw is when people get desperate, they will do anything. And so I, I, I tell people today, I just say, just look at your family. One day those children and that wife is going to come to you and say, I'm hungry. What are you going to tell them? And this isn't meant to, to lay a guilt trip on anybody, but what are you going to tell them? I, I, I needed, I, forgive me, Steve, I needed the plasma TV. I mean, I needed a jet ski. I, I, what are you going to tell them? If you cannot look at the Word of God right now and understand that God, by His nature, has to bring this judgment on our land, then you're spiritually blind. And... One day, those children or the family are going to look at you and say, I'm hungry. And it, there's going to be the wise. I mean, you know, there's the parable of the, of the ten virgins, the five wise and the five foolish. You know, when the bridegroom came and the five foolish said, give us some of your oil, they said no. And so this thing of sharing that we somebody thinks they're going to share, it really isn't going to happen. And you're going to be left yeah, out and I, there. Hey, Bob, I'd like to I'd like to address that issue. Probably the toughest issue, having been, you know, again, one of the guys who started the prep movement years and years ago, decades ago now. I don't want to admit how old I am, but decades ago, probably <laughs> getting now close to 40, four decades ago. The point is, is that we we do not.
even grasp the, uh, if you will, the gravity of the situation. There's only so many calories per person. I remember my former partner, one of the former Comex traders, Larry Berg, who did a show, talk radio almost, I don't know, close to maybe 15, 16 years ago, before China even came on the scene in full financial fury with the appetites. And he said, you just watch what difference eating two eggs a day will make. The grain that feeds them, the distribution, the chickens, everything. And now we've got literally the Chinese uh, exceeding us, and they are, uh, in technology, and that was courtesy of Bill Clinton. Ladies and gentlemen, you may, may not know this, but we have secret patents. And that patent library is sealed up by the government for national security. I think I talked about it once, Doug, on your show. But that entire patent library of all the top secret patents was given to China by President Clinton. Go look at Loral Satellite Corporation. How come North Korea is getting ready to lob ICBMs at us now and it has the potential? It's simple, because someone gave them that technology or traded for North Korea's voluminous amount of strategic metal. So now we're at a point where we're seeing all these strange events taking place. And forgive me, but people have got to understand one thing. We used to joke about the movie with Charlton Heston and Edward G. Robinson, Soylent Green, and then came the robots that DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, came out with that robots would be fueled by eating human bodies. Well, that wasn't fear-mongering. That was basically a Defense Department uh, expense. And I want to make a clarification right now. AI, artificial intelligence, will not be derived on a purely molecular, atomic, or nanotechnological basis. The thing that will give artificial intelligence, it will be that that which is be, uh, being created artificially, in other words, God didn't create it, will be inhabited by evil spirits. Now, you know, it's interesting, Doug, Joe, I don't know, Bob, if you saw the story too, but there's a guy out on YouTube talking about the coming, you know, possession of, uh, of uh, technologically superior, whether it's robots or uh, self-driving vehicles, but the point that people have got to understand you cannot create life out of non-life, but you can have a spiritual entity that has, if you will, a life force inhabit a, uh inanimate object. That drives some people crazy. I want to make another statement. I have the highest respect for the men of God who preach the Word of God from the pulpit. I have the highest respect of the men of God and of the women of God who are intercessors and stand true to God's Word. So, and I, Doug, I just want to share this. Some guy took me to task, and, and I'm telling you this, I had all I could do just to bite my tongue for calling uh, the pulpits that don't preach Jesus and have surrendered to the devil the puke pits. Now, why I called it that, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus said if we're lukewarm, he's going to spew us out of his mouth. So I want to clarify something. In no way, shape, or form will I belittle anybody who's bought with the blood of a lamb. Those who have denied the blood of a lamb, who absolutely challenge the authority of the word of God, who don't even believe in God and call God she, those don't fit under the category, well, God loves them too. God judges the wicked. The Bible says that he's he's angry with the uh, wicked all the day long. But we've lost our focus. Now, here's the deal. 
and this is this is kind of interesting that we're having this talk tonight. In all the times that I've written my first book, Blueprint for Survival, and then everybody else wrote survival books, many way better than that one, but it was one of the first on the market two and a half decades ago. The thing that it was really astonishing to me, Bob, is a mindset of how to get people to help themselves, to help their families. And look, I've heard the stories, and I've heard, uh, you know, where Bob's been, and, and, you know, I mean, it makes you cry, ladies and gentlemen, when you see these beautiful human beings, and, and just brutally, and by the way, if you don't get it, you will soon, the Arabs are now once again starting slave trading in Libya, I don't know if you've seen those heartbreaking pictures, starving their fellow Arabs to death, I mean, look, this isn't scare tactics, but I don't know what it's going to take, I used to say, Doug, on the radio, Joe and Bob, and everyone's heard this probably ad nauseum from me, but what's it going to take, God, to get people's attention? Even now, even now, people don't understand. And I'm, I'm going to encourage everybody, look, Numana and, and this, if you want to consider this a infomercial, call it an info-save-your-lazy-you-know-what um, commercial, because you can still get, you can still get the Numana food. And here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, you can basically go on that and they put together meat packages and they have organic and they have non-GMO stuff and that's going to get harder and harder to find. Garbage in, garbage out. Good health in, good health out. And then I would encourage you, you know, the number that you can call, you can use the code SQS 888-491-6290. 888-491-6290. And then for those of you that want to even go beyond that and barter, you know, two of the most important barter items in the history of the world, most people don't know this, but is cocoa, i.e. chocolate, ask any woman who loves chocolate if they, they would like to have that or also coffee and uh, you know the people at Interhealth Botanicals have just been amazing uh, Steve St. Clair the owner of that company has helped so many people I don't I don't uh, you know I can't tell you I wouldn't embarrass him but there are people that have been brought back people literally uh, uh, malnourished I'm talking about veterans and I know a couple of them by name that were brought back and so you know Help has been an amazing uh, company to work with. You can go on my website, stequell.com, click on the Interhelp banner. But these things are available in small quantities. And so if you want a good barter item, forget whiskey. There's more takers for coffee. And the coffee, their, their coffee is amazing. Now, I'm not a coffee drinker. I will drink this, though. They have a, uh, they have a um, coffee that's got some really good mushroom extract in it. And it's low glycemic coconut sugar and you know it, there's a lot of neat stuff that's in Coco Mojo but the idea is this that there are health benefits not only to cocoa but also to cafe and they have I'm sorry to coffee they have the Nutri Cafe so I'd encourage you to go on my website stevequail.com and click on the banner because Bob I hear people well, they're going to barter this they're going to barter that and we just have to go to Jacob and Esau and show that one who was a prince was brought to a pauper and sold his birthright because he was starving and you've seen that all over the world you know you've seen people uh, you don't have to go into detail but tell people 
what it's like to be with some of the uh, most, and you, you, if you want to name country, I'll leave it to you. Obviously, I could do it because you've told me. But tell them what it's like to the average contempt for the common man or the common woman uh, amongst the leadership that you had to, uh, you know, you had to approach for selling a product. And by the way, it was a legal product, ladies and gentlemen. It wasn't any clandestine illegality. But, uh, you know, tell them what it's like. Tell them what it's like when, 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 and I know that we both have read Savage Nation. As a matter of fact, you sent me the book. I read it on the air. But tell them what it's like, the attitude. These people don't count. As far as they're concerned, they're worse than dogs, correct? Bob? Yeah, I'm here. Um, I think I lost you. Can you hear me? Yeah, no, no, go ahead. I asked you just to share how the, you know, quote, the elite that you would meet with, you know, in a sales position, the attitude they had toward the common people, treat them like worse than dogs. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, Steve. They um, they look at America, and they, they think that we are nothing but lazy people. Um, uh, I've had them make fun of the, the size of clothing that they sent to Walmart. I mean, just in every way. And these were some, you know, very powerful people in Asia, uh, in the military that told me these things. And you just understand that they have no respect for most of the American people and especially our leaders. They just look at them with contempt. And that goes throughout most of the places I have been. They look at us with contempt, that we have no substance whatsoever, that we are immoral, and that we just do, we, we take and throw our weight around like a big bully and demand what we want. We don't get what we want. We throw a temper tantrum and we destroy things. That's what was told to me and by more than one person. And again, these were, you know, powerful, well-placed people in their countries. Well, and I think, too, Doug and Joe, one of the things that people have got to understand is this. If, and I can't make it real to people, I can tell them that, you know, our national parks are pledged as collateral for all the nations that basically lent us money. The Bible says that the, you know, uh, the borrower is servant to the lender. I don't know that most people would understand it, but there are literally nations who can send their militaries in and claim what's rightly, rightfully theirs under basically the international commerce protocols, and two of our presidents gave them that ability. That was never the case before. So, uh, you know, being on talk radio, Doug, a number of years ago, some uh, buddy on the West Coast who was listening to us from one of the West Coast ports up in the Seattle Belling, Belling, I'm sorry, Bellingham area. We're talking about they were watching Chinese ships loads of uh, soldiers. And the guy was on the docks. He was kind of a manager of a bunch of freights and stuff. And he said, look, they're coming in. And he said, Steve, these men were so disciplined. And he said they had state-of-the-art. And the guy was former military, weapons and everything. And when he asked about it, here's what he was told. They're here to collect what's theirs. 
Now, they haven't collected what's theirs, but they own it. It's just like having an absentee land owner. Uh, excuse me, an absentee land owner. You may get to uh, occupy the land and pay rent or anything, but you really don't know who owns it. And at some point, Doug and Joe, and this is what I think is critical for people to understand tonight, is that when, if there, when, forgive me, when the trucks don't run, the store shelves aren't stocked. You know that the biggest corporation in the United States, one of the biggest that feeds America, obviously, is the Mart store, Walmart. And we've all heard the stories about the abandoned, the shutdown Walmarts. We've seen the death of retail. And yet we see the internationalists, the globalists, the global elite, and everything is designed now to have a central store. It's almost like the Erie Canal, Doug. What was that song, 15 years on the Erie Canal? Uh, you know. And and the thing is, is that I owe, what is it? I owe my soul to the company store. What what people don't recognize is that the king bees will only feed the worker bees enough to keep them alive. So that the king bees, and this is true across the history of the world, whether you're dealing with feudalism or you're dealing with you know what we see now as what I'd call, uh, uh, and I'd call it aber aberrant. In other words, it's an aberration of capitalism. You know what we have right now is is basically the motion to control everything under so few eyes, just like the media. What is it? Six major corporations own all the media in this country. So, you know, it's not the it's not only the fake news them, it's a controlled news them. So ladies and gentlemen, here's the deal. Whether you understand the full effect of what we're talking about tonight. Let's say wherever you're at in a different part of the country, you know, it's nine thirty now on the East Coast, six thirty on the West Coast. Uh, 8.30 in the Midwest. The people that have planned this stuff don't sleep in some part of the globe. Don't get me wrong. They have to sleep unless, of course, uh, the fallen ones orchestrating everything. But, you know, there's a disconnect between the supernatural events taking place, whether it's weather, whether it's volcanism. And I want to make something very clear. When you start looking at the cubometric volume of ash going into the upper atmosphere and all the strange weather, you know, it, it's, it's got to be obvious to most people that, hey, this happened before in history in 1815 with Mount Tambora, and, and the following uh, year they had no summer. And now we've got the most extreme geoengineered, as Dane Wigington and I agree with him, events taking place on the planet, and people still are starting to say, well, you know, there must be something to that chemtrailing. Where were you 20 years ago? So the point being is, is that everything that's designed. So, uh, you know, I, Bob, in, in a university town, Bozeman's a university town, and I just question everybody else who lives in a university town, what's going to happen when there's no uh, food in the student union building or the student cafeteria? And for the record, the Federal Emergency Management Agency knows where literally every refrigerator in a local community is located. They've done surveys, and why would they do that? It's simple. In an extreme event, when it comes down, you know, I even posted a story, well, other places you can look for food, you know, when everybody's panicked. Most
most of those places that look for food, the only way that you'll get any food out of those places, abandoned, I'm, I want to add, is basically beat the other people to it. And I, I, it was astonishing to me, Bob, that people didn't understand why FEMA would be doing an inventory of all available food sources in every county and every town across the nation. You want to address that? Yeah, well, it's obvious, Steve. They know what is coming. You know, I've had the phone calls from people in FEMA buying food from me, and I ask them, plain coy, why are you buying so much? And they said, I can't tell you. Well, I kept pressing, and then he finally, this one gentleman finally told me, well, I'll say this, when they go out, they will not come back on. To me, was. Yeah, yeah, make that statement one more time. Um, I had a call from a person in FEMA, a district manager in FEMA, and he wanted to buy a large quantity of food. And um, myself, I was playing coy, asking him, well, why do you want so much? What are you doing with this? And he told me, I can't tell you at first, but I pressed him, and he says, well, I'll tell you this. I'm buying it for my people, and when, when they go out, they will not come back on. And I presumed he was talking about the lights or electricity. He was scared. For sure. You know, Steve, I have known some people in the government. Um, I've been friends with them and know them. And I can tell you, everyone, and Steve, I'm not saying this lightly. I'm just telling you, this is the truth. Everyone has told me it is over with. They are playing, one of the expressions was whack-a-mole. No matter what level of crime you deal with in America today, and we've all played that game, you beat one down, two pop up. You beat two down, five pop up. They are at that point right now where they cannot manage the crime that is happening in this country. It is so prolific that we are seeing the breakdown of law and order in this country. We are a nation. You know, one thing I learned um, in what the what I did for so many years is that you watch and look what people entertain themselves with, and that's what people will revert to when there's no one watching. In America, we are a pornography and violence-saturated society. When the rule of law breaks down, do you think we're going to take up knitting? No. I mean, that's what we're going to do, Steve. These people that that fill their minds with violence and filth, that's what's going to happen. We have a day of reckoning coming. You know, uh, I had a um, John Lovell, the, the, the ranger, um, he told me, he goes, you know, it isn't what you have, it's what you can keep, what you can defend. You know, what is coming to this country is going to, break, is going to be a breakdown of civil law in such a manner that we are going to see just absolute anarchy in the streets. And that's why these people want to know where the food is at, because they know these things are coming. I mean, when I have people that are in pretty, I'd say, substantial positions in the government saying we're playing whack-a-mole, that's a sobering thought for, for them to say that. We can no longer manage the crime that is happening in this country and that we are going after only the you know the the top of it because there's there's so much of it we can't control it. We are a nation that has been taken over by lawlessness. And, and, and again, Steve, and it's like you said, 
I don't think these words have meaning to 99% of people. Economic collapse. I mean, that, I just read that article, $21 trillion. Think of that. If that's true, if our government, outside of Congress, which is the only one can appropriate that money, if our government has printed and spent $21 trillion that they haven't told us about, what have they bought with that money? Who have they bribed? What bunkers have they built? And, and, and then that begs the other question. If they're willing to violate the law in such a manner and steal that much money from the American people, do you think it would bother them at all to pledge as collateral our water, our timber, any of our natural resources? Do you think the American people really own those anymore? Or do you think they're pledged as collateral for the debt and the underhanded dealings that we American politicians have? against the American people. Robert, if I can if I can jump in here and Steve, uh this is Doug Hagman. You know, you're exactly right. And by the way, when a million dollars goes missing, a million people will look for it. But when 21 trillion goes missing, it's uh that there's that's on a whole different level. In other words, um, the, the, the level of complicity with respect to that, it's not, hey, somebody just pilfered 21 million or 21 trillion dollars. No. This is invested, uh, ferreted away for something, you know, black, uh, black ops or, or whatever. So it, it's it totally, that's what, yeah, Doug, that's yeah. what funds a secret space program. That's exactly that's what right. funds everything. Yeah. Right. Uh, but, but I just want to mention one thing because I, I can guarantee you this, and, and I don't have much. And I'm, this is the only thing I'm going to say. I don't, I don't have much. Uh, I, I don't have much tolerance for the self-professed Christians out there who say, "Well, you know what? We heard this, the same spiel." I guarantee you, I'm going to get at least one email on this. We heard the same spiel for Y2K, and look what happened. Uh, okay. I, 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 the only thing I want to say. Can I address something with you? What happened? What people don't realize? What happened at Y2K? Yeah, go ahead. They got what they wanted. They had a. They developed a global computer network. They developed Skynet. That was the the plan to make every computer on the planet talk to one another. That was the under. That was the plan that they weren't telling you about, but they wanted to orchestrate, and they used that to so that every computer network on the planet could talk to one another. And communicate without problem. That's what I think that Y2K was done. So when they said nothing happened, something always happened. When they're pushing something like that, watch out. Something is going on. When, when the right hand is taking your attention, drawing your attention, you better watch what the left hand is doing. Hey, Doug, I want to read this, and Bob, this just came in in real time from someone I know who's very, very well-informed, okay? And ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who mock this statement, I, I, you better take this statement serious. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Those of you who don't know Jesus, I would seriously be considering asking him to reveal himself to you. This is from a FEMA high-ranking person, okay? Roughly 25.8 million people were affected by these three storms. 8% of the entire U.S. population, and this number does not include those impacted by western wildfires. 4.5 million survivors registered for FEMA assistance. FEMA's individual and household program have approved almost 2.5 billion in disaster assistance to respond to three hurricanes. National Flood Insurance Program, NFIP, policyholders filed approximately 121,000 claims, and the NFIP has paid over $5 billion to them. 
I want to put everybody in remembrance of the Deagle Report. Listen, I want to share something. If I put up people on my website, like, for instance, that do a tremendous job of research, I don't think that some people realize, like, when uh, All News Pipeline, I get a lot of flack. Stephen Sanford did probably one of the best investigative uh, uh, pieces on the Deagle Report. He takes hours and days to go out and research stuff. So you know what? I don't care who says, I don't believe that anymore. You better start paying attention because the Deagle Report says that, you know, within a matter of less than seven years, the population of the United States goes down from 340 million to about 60 million people. So people say, well, what do they know that we don't know? Everything we're telling you, they know. Because Bob, Bob knows people. I know people. We all know people. And those people will share what they know if we, who have the microphone, are, are at least trying to be as, as honest as we can. So I want to give out, I've just got an email, Doug. I want to give out Numana's phone number again because I think it's uh, really important. And use the, uh, they made this, this stuff, they have the no gluten, you know, specials and stuff. The stuff that they've made for me is the SQS special. So you got to ask them for that. And they also discount the prices. So, uh, you know, you can either call Numana or you can call, uh, uh, you can call Tyler. Uh, he works for me. Actually, he's my son. It could be kind of like calling Joe, but you can call him at 406 539 0713, you know, and I think that that, I'll give that out again. The code is, again, SQS, and you can call him at 406 539. I better make sure here, Doug. I got too many numbers in my head. 7913, I believe. And uh, sorry about that. I usually have it all together. And I yeah, you said zero seven one three. So yeah. uh, no, but, that's my that's that's not right. Here's the correct number. It's four zero six five three nine seven nine one three four zero six five three nine seven nine one three. And talk to Tyler about ordering the Numana food special. And then the last thing I'm going to say, and I'll turn it over to Bob, is the fact that you know. You're going to have to have, for those of you that understand the United States' desire for coffee and for cocoa, I don't think you can get better products than the Inner Health products, Inner Health Botanicals. And again, the idea is simply this. It's not only good for your health, but people are going to want the N-word. And Bob, that's something that everybody forgets. They'll talk about calories, but they forget the N-word. And the N-word is nutrition. So ladies and gentlemen, for Inner Health, you can call one 866-762-9238 and talk to them about the Steve Quayle specials especially the Nutri Cafe and the Coco Mojo I'm telling you this you'll love this stuff and it is one of the first uh, products on the market to have so many health and nutritional benefits that uh, you know they were they were the front runners so please we're giving you what we know what we know in real time and Bob the situation with the tell people you've represented ready-made resources in your company how many different uh, uh, long-term storage food places are but tell them how little it, when it comes to when when a panic hits tell them how long it takes these food companies to recover to where they can even ship stuff it's, it's gone out Steve as far as a year 
that uh, and again when we we are close through the America hits the brick wall moment and when that happens there will no there will not be a recovery the food will be cleaned out within days and then you will not get it and then you'll be at the position of having to level for whatever you can get and one thing I want to point out Steve the thing I like about Numana so much is they present an honest diet with that program. I have seen food supplies where they say 2,000 calories a day, and you look through it, and there's cans of sugar drinks, orange sugar drink. It's, it, is, it, is, it is disingenuous. Also, one of the big things you have to watch for, and Numana has done it so good, is um, they say it has you know so many servings. Well, when you look at it, if serving might be 200 calories, well, they are doing it in such a manner as to make make you think, when they say serving, you think meal, and a serving is not a meal. And so when you buy these food supplies that advertise so many servings, you're not buying what you think you're buying. Numana provides, I think it's 2,000 calories a day in their packages, so you're going to get a food supply that's well-balanced, and it is going to present to you the ability to eat in such a manner where you can keep working. Some of these food supplies you're going to buy and you're going to think you're going to go through them very quick. And on top of that, it's food that's not going to be any, and it's not going to have any nutrition in it. it they're, they're out there. Steve, you've been in it almost twice as long as I have, but I have seen everything under the sun of people selling what they're calling a food supply. And you look at it and you go, my gosh. This isn't a year food supply. This is a couple months food supply, and there's no nutrition. So, right. you know, um, Daniel has done it good. He, you're getting food that is nutritionally sound, and it's going to give you enough that you can, you know, actually live and work. I mean, if you're eating 750 calories a day in some of these food supplies, you're not going to be doing much except for getting thinner. And so, just right. just watch it because. Go ahead, Steve. And, Bob, I think one of the things, too, I, I insisted, and Daniel, and we're talking about Daniel Brigham, the owner of uh, Numana, ladies and gentlemen, and he, he he went out and busted this and said, look, we need beef, we need chicken, we need with no hormones, no growth hormones, we need, uh, you know, really good uh, meat protein. And, look, I've sold MREs for years. I used to sell them by the pallet loads. Bob, you have millet, uh, meals ready to eat. I've sold uh, everything from Alpine Air to Mountain House to uh, various, you know, Richmore. I mean, everything. Now, I want to make something clear to people. Uh, Alpine Air Foods used to be an American company. It's now been bought out by the Swiss. And if you understand who Nestle is, Nestle doesn't own Alpine. But they're smart. They understand that you have, when you can provide food or flavoring or whatever, you're, you've got basically business longevity. But because the mainstream doesn't get it yet, and they will when the trucker strikes come or for whatever other reason, the whole idea of long-term storage food is to minimize and actually, if you can, get rid of any refrigeration requirements to store it because, number one, you don't know if you'll have electricity. You plan as if you won't have electricity, but you can still heat it up and whatever you can heat it up and you can rehydrate it and you can do what you can do. And my chief complaint... And 
and Bob, you nailed it. This is my chief, I guess, my flashpoint, my F point, my flashpoint for the record, is that you absolutely ha- cannot take a serving to equal a meal. And it takes honesty to say, look, here is how you derive the calories. Here's what the protein content is. Here's what the carbohydrate content is. And especially, like, again, when you're doing inner health, man, they spell it out. Uh, Their inner food is amazing stuff. It's live food. Most people mocked Y2K. I know, Doug, you'll get that. You already brought it up. I said, you realize you people that bought the food then probably had some of the only non-chemtrailed food when they started putting the really bad chemtrail stuff in outside of that which was growing you know in greenhouses so the point is is that everybody they overlook the obvious whenever they have like for instance a pandemic warning whether it's fake Ebola or you know Madagascar whatever or some combo pox you know combination of this and that and the other thing there's something more uh, sinister going on underneath And ladies and gentlemen, you know, this is, you take your life in your own hand. And I, I, Doug, I can't, I wish that, I know there are people that can't afford this stuff, but everybody who, who is thinking of prioritizing whatever, you know, even going to canned foods, look, it's not organic, but, you know, it's got more calories than that stuff you pay more money for if it is a lying food storage program. We should call that an LFS. So, ladies and gentlemen, please consider what we're hearing, uh, you know, sharing with you tonight, and I pray you really hear it, and and we can give you all the biblical, the time of Joseph and Noah, uh, the little boy with the loaves and fishes, that was the first uh, prepper in the New Testament, his mother knew he might be gone longer, and I was really praying about that, Doug, Joe, and Bob, when I got that, Lord, am I giving people some kind of a, a false hope or a non-biblical approach, and instantly, the Lord dropped that into my spirit. So it is a biblical perspective. The wise man sees evil coming and hides himself from it. Look, it's great. Thank you so much tonight, Doug. Steve, thanks so much for coming on. And look, we have to recognize the times in which we find ourselves today. And this is part and parcel, I think. We could talk all day long about the issues, the problems, and we recognize them, but recognizing the time and the precious little time we may have left, if we don't prepare now, what good are we, really? And those who dare to mock, you know, it's one thing not to agree. Fine. Don't, don't agree. Um, then, then go your own way. But, but certainly don't mock those people who take the time to, to prepare and to be good stewards. Biblically, I think that's a biblical principle. So, thank you, Steve. Thank you so very much. By the way, just to just to be clear, the phone number is four zero six five three nine seven nine one three. Yes, sir. Thank you, right, and I sir. apologize. I was given half of his and half of mine. No, that's that's all right. I do the same thing. So, Steve, thank you so much, Robert Griswold. Thanks. Go ahead. Uh, two minutes uh, we've got. Take us out. Well, I tell you, it's what I said. You know, Steve brought up the Deagle thing. I uh, was thinking that before the program, and I thought it was uh, very fortuitous that he brought that up. They are predicting a substantial, substantial reduction in the population of America. My question, anybody who's listening, is what do you base your judgment of where we're going on? Do you base it on God's Word and what he says about a nation that forsakes him? We can look at Italy and Germany. They gave in in one decade to doctrines of demons 
and in one decade their nations were destroyed. We have given in to these doctrines of demons for more than a decade. We see the signs of destruction everywhere. God is benevolent, and he is warning his people if you're willing to listen. You know, as I think Jim Rawls says, team up, train up, and stock up. Network with your friends. Get together. Have a plan so that you can prepare and and, and uh, survive this thing that is coming on our world. It is going to be devastating, and I think Deagle uh, points that out very clearly, that we are going to see some things that are going to shake us to our, our bone. It's going to be terrible, but I just know in my spirit, because I know God's Word and what it says. And so I would just say to people that have an ear to hear, listen to what the voice of the Holy Spirit is saying. Listen to what the voice of God says in His Word. And I think if you do that, um, He is going to direct you to do what is necessary to put your family in a position that you have a greater chance than most to survive. Robert Griswold, thank you so much. A man who's seen much, who has experienced much, readymaderesources.com. Um, contact Robert Griswold to, if you have any questions about preparation. Uh, he's, he's there. He's there to provide information, to provide the materials for your preparation from night vision equipment, which is second to none. And of course, the hardware and, and the food. Joe? Yeah, and uh, don't forget, tomorrow we are going to be on the Cape Daly radio show at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, both my father and I. That's, that's a Cape Fox Daly. affiliate. Yep. Yeah, Cape Daly radio show. Uh, John's been on a few times. We're really looking forward to that. And don't forget, tomorrow morning, the Doug Hagman radio show, 9 to 10, and then we will be on the Hagman Daily Show live on Blog Talk Radio at noon. It will that show will air on Global Star two to three. But if you want to join us live and call in and be part of the show, make sure you tune in at noon. I'll put all the links out there on the website and social media. Then we'll be back here tomorrow evening for another great show. Thanks for everybody for tuning in and listening to us tonight. Have a great evening. 